Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Welcome, everyone. It's a pleasure to have you back here again, day two. I, I was looking at my notes for today, and I went, wow, we're in Thursday's conference already. Uh, it's It's been a quick two days here. Uh, glad to have everyone with us. And we've got some excellent presentations today. Looking forward to each and every one of them. Uh, it's going to be a good, exciting event today. So, you know, I, I think since we've got everybody here and we're all lined up, I think we'll just dive right in. So first up, our first presenter, the question is, why NIAX is a better solution? And with us is Harry Keslowski. Harry is the Senior Director of Solution Sales for NIAX. It's a pleasure to meet you, Harry. I have not had this opportunity. So uh, thank you for joining us. And uh, please take the floor and tell us all the good things about NIAC today. Great. Thank you very much for uh, having me. And I appreciate the opportunity. Um, so I usually start out by um, mentioning who NIAC is. Uh, and then we'll dif differentiate. We'll talk about features. Um, we'll talk about how NIAX in particular is out there helping uh, the blind uh, uh, programs in, in, in the various states. So um, NIAX is the global engineering leader of um, cashless technology for unattended machines. What that means is we're a global engineering company. We engineer our own equipment. And we're currently on over 500,000 unattended machines in over 60 countries. Um, that means that people are calling us, uh, our various offices all over the world, and they're calling us to buy our equipment for vending machines, for car washes, for air and vac machines, for massage chairs, um, uh, amusement games, uh, smart machines such as electric vehicle charging stations, kiosks, etc. So we're global, go all over the world, and I'll stress over and over again in this presentation that we're an engineering company. These are our readers. We engineer them, uh, and and uh, I'll state why is that important? Why is it important that I'll keep mentioning that we're the engineering company of our own equipment? It's important because um, because these are our readers, we control everything about them. We build in lots and lots of features. Um, if, for example, uh, there's outages or, or something goes down, and if I don't know how many of you out, out there uh, are using NIAX or using other companies' equipment, but you might have experienced outages at times. And sometimes these companies just have outages. When you're dealing with NIACs, you're dealing with the actual engineering company of its own equipment. So we're on top of anything that can go wrong with our own people. Other companies that aren't selling, uh, when you're not buying NIACs, um, you're buying equipment from other companies that are not, it's not their equipment. It might have their name on it, but it's made by other companies. And those companies put the names of those of that company on their readers and that company then sells the readers. That doesn't mean that the readers aren't quality, doesn't mean that they're not going to take credit cards or, or phone payments, et cetera. But what it does mean is 
that you're, uh, until you, uh, somebody speaks to NIACs, they don't realize that these readers are much, much more than just taking credit card payments, phone payments, and if you're into inventory, doing inventory, et cetera. There are a lot more to the technology, and NIACs being the engineering company of its own equipment packs a lot of features into uh, its hardware that our operators can take advantage of. So let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, anybody, uh, well, I'll start this way. In, in 2017, Visa and MasterCard said, we don't want anybody using magnetic stripe on their credit cards anymore. And I'm going to pull out a credit card and I'm going to go into a little detail about this because it's important. And it kind of it goes in and emphasizes um, the importance of working with a technology company. You, you're probably all used to when uh, up until, you know, maybe four years ago, you would go to Walmart or wherever in retail and you would swipe your credit card with a magnetic stripe. Well, Visa and MasterCard said in 2017, we don't want anybody using magnetic stripe. And the reason for that is it's too easy to steal. That, that stripe is easy for someone to steal so that if they're stolen or there are disputes and someone's using that card, someone's being penalized with what's called chargebacks. So Visa wants, wanted, wants the public to stop using magnetic stripe. And that's why uh, four or five years ago, you all got cards that have chip on it, that chip. And you're all using that chip now because all the retailers over the past four years have all converted over all of their point of sale terminals so that you can't use that magnetic stripe anymore. You're all using that, that chip that Visa's put on these cards. And that chip's important because it, it's not, you can't steal it, et cetera. So that's uh, everybody in retail now has converted over. And if you traveled outside the U.S., the, uh, all the other countries have been on this chip standard. It's called EMV for many, many, many years, long before the United States. So now the, the retailers in the U.S. all converted over. All the other countries have converted over. Um, it's the unattended machine owners in the U.S. for the past four years and more that have continued to uh, be supplied with readers that take magnetic stripe. And any of you who maybe have readers that are not NIAX readers, um, you're being told today you've got to upgrade out of that, you want to get out of magnetic stripe, et cetera. That, it's late in the game. And NIAX has had chip readers for over close to five years in the United States. Why is that? Because, again, we support 60 countries around the world, and the entire world is on chip technology called EMV again. And we um, brought the chip reader to the U.S. over four years ago. So our customers who have been buying from NIAX, uh, they've had chip for a long time now, and they don't need to upgrade those readers in order to be able to get chip. They've had it. So the Visa and MasterCard are trying to get people out of this magnetic stripe. And anybody who's using um, magnetic stripe readers, uh, Visa was on a conference call or a webinar with, with uh, our operators back at the end of last year. Anybody who's using um, magnet, uh, these magnetic stripe readers still and are holding on to them, at some point, Visa is going to turn off Apple Pay, Google Pay, and Samsung Pay on these readers that don't allow 
uh, chip capability. So uh, that none of that is, is necessary when someone has NIACs because NIACs, again, we lead the technology. So we're going to have readers that always have the best in technology. We're not buying from another company. I want to give you a lot of other examples. It's chips important, but I'm going to give you a lot of other examples. When your machines fail, when your machines lose power, and some of you might have a lot of machines, some of you may only have a few machines, but when your machines fail, uh, the more you have, the more likely it is that you're losing sales when those machines fail, meaning that when it goes down, the only way you know with non-NIAX readers that your machine is down, for the most part, is manually. Someone has to call you from that location and say, hey, your machine's down. Come out here and do something about it. Or you'll be, you have to be watching your sales reports very closely, and you'll see you're not doing sales over some period of time. And that'll tell you you got a problem with your machine, and you're going to take care of it. In both of those cases, you're losing time. And if you're losing time, you're losing money um, when you're down. NIACS is technology. Uh, has uh, what's called a capacitor built into all of its equipment. That means that the very second that a machine loses power or goes down, we're sending you what's called a power down alert. Within a split second, our operators know their machine is down by text and by email. They'll know they'll get what's called a power down alert. Now, what, what happens if that machine went down by accident? or uh, because someone accidentally unplugged it while vacuuming the location, or maybe uh, there was a surge in the building. And so it just flashed the electricity off, but it came right back on. So we also follow up the power down alert with a power up alert. So within a split second of that machine coming back on, you're also gonna get an alert by text and by email. So our operators always know the condition of their machine. Um, I deal with a lot of BPs, and um, they all have different rules and regulations, et cetera. Um, some of them allow operators to do their own installation. Some of them, you, you uh, install uh, the, the uh, BP, has someone come out and install. Um, those of you that are familiar with these devices, you know they operate off of cellular, meaning that the way they communicate is the same way your phone communicates meaning that it's either Verizon or AT&T cellular built into those devices. So when someone comes and they're buying a, um, something from your machines, they're inserting, if it's a NIAX reader, they're inserting their chip card um, and they're getting their candy bar. And all that's happening, that transmission, is all happening through the same air, if you want to call it, of the cellular network, just like when you talk or, or do communication with your cell phone. Now, what happens you know your cell phone doesn't always work, um, depending on where you're traveling. The cell coverage is great, uh, and, and it, it works most of the time, but there are, are going to be locations where you just black out. Your, your cell phone just doesn't work, or it's grainy, or it's, it's intermittent. Now, the same thing is going to happen with your readers. So if you happen to be in a location that is cellular challenged, and you don't get a consistently good cellular signal, companies, including NIACs, will say, well, maybe you need to try what's called a high-gain antenna. It's a little antenna that allows you to try to boost the signal a little bit. And that may work in some cases, but in other cases, 
it, do, it doesn't work because the cell tower might not be near enough or, or whatever the reason. It's inconsistent. You've got to be consistent in order to process these transactions. So NIACs, with the other readers in the market, again, it's not their technology. Um, if, with those readers, if you don't get a good sell signal, you're stuck in cash. You can't use credit cards and, and phone. You have to have consistent signal. NIACs built-in Ethernet and Wi-Fi capability into our readers. That means that our operators, if they ever encounter locations that are cellular challenged, all they need to do is have access in that location to either Ethernet or Wi-Fi. They can continue processing with our equipment. We're all about customer engagement. That's a, a term you may not be familiar with unless you're in the retail business. If you're in the retail business and you own stores or whatever, you, the, the word customer engagement is a, a critical term for you. That means to, to a retailer, that means that you want to engage that customer. And, and that means that they may talk to them while in the store. They might, they'll say thank you when they leave. They know that if they give that customer a good experience, that customer is more likely to come back and feel good about that transaction. And that's important. And NIACs, again, uh, uh, looking at this as more than just a reader that takes a credit card and Apple Pay as something much, much broader, we've built in customer engagement into our technology. And I, let me start out by saying also that all these features that are unique to NIACs hardware, um, we don't charge extra for it. Everything that we have that helps operators that are enhanced technology features all of this is at the same price or lower than what you're used to paying. So I wanted to be, that to be clear because I'm mentioning so many different things. Some of you might think, oh, well, it's going to cost a lot more. It doesn't work that way. We don't have to do that because, again, we're the engineering company. We're not paying somebody else to do our, our technology for us. Um, so um, customer engagement. How do we build customer engagement into the technology? And why is it important? Number one. Our readers speak. They actually engage the customer through the transaction by voice. And at the end of every transaction, our reader says thank you. And in addition to saying thank you, uh, there's a hot, the, the, we're selling a, a high resolution graphical device. The, the uh, screen, um, what, what, at the same time that the voice is saying thank you, there's a very high resolution graphical burst coming off the screen into the customer's eyes, that's uh, um, projecting thank you in 23 languages. It's just a cool, engaging experience. That's just part one of customer engagement. Voice, um, uh, interactive uh, capability, et cetera. That's just part one. The main part, and this is where we've won a, a number of awards at various shows, is we have a rewards and loyalty app. It's called Monix, M-O-N-Y-X. That app, um, if you're familiar with Apple Pay and Google Pay, you know Apple Pay and Google Pay allows a customer to pay by phone by putting money on their credit card, right? They put money on their credit card, and then they can pay by phone. Um, Monix is uh, Nyax's uh, rewards and loyalty phone app, and, and it has a number of, of sides to it, and I'm going to give you both sides. On one hand, it allows operators to do promotions 
um, sort of like uh, if you want to uh, do buy nine, get one free. I'm going to give a percent off. Uh, I'm going to give you a dollar uh, during this week because it's my slow week. Um, you can do all kinds of different promotions. Again, it's built in. It doesn't cost extra. But not all operators or a lot of operators out there, especially uh, from a blind enterprise program perspective, that just want customers to just buy from their machines. And they don't necessarily want to put the time in or they have the, the, uh, the, the computer skill, et cetera, uh, depending on their size, to want to go into all the extras. So let's say... You're an operator that doesn't want to take advantage of all of these extras as far as uh, a rewards program and promotions. That's fine. You don't have to, but you still want you still want to put the the Monix sticker on the machine, the NIAC supplies, because you want that customer to use the app, the Monix wallet, when they're buying from your machine. Why? Um, uh, because NIAC gives them free money when they use the app. And I'll explain why at the end of this. So how is it that we give free money? Right now, when your customers are buying, let's say a candy bar and they're using somebody else's reader. Let's say they, every day they're buying a candy bar for $1. After 25 days, they now uh, have 25 candy bars. They've swiped their credit card 25 times and they uh, and you probably are paying anywhere from 5.45 up to 5.95% processing fee on those uh, candy bars. That's the way it works for you now if you don't have a NIAX reader. When you have NIAX and you have that Monix sticker there and you, and, you, and you guide that customer or that customer will see the, the, uh, the sticker and he downloads that app and he pays with the app, for every $25 he puts into that wallet app, He's going to get $27.50. Nyx is giving him $2.50 or 10% instant bonus for every $25 he would have spent on your machine anyway. So instead of him uh, just going ahead and swiping his card 25 times over 25 days, he puts $25 into the Monix app because now he has a Nyx reader. And he's going to get $2.50 free money just for using uh, uh, Monix, the Monix app. That's number one. So for every $25 they would spend anyway over a period of time, when they don't have NIAX readers, they're walking away from $2.50 free money. Number two, at the end of every single transaction, we added this feature about six months ago. We have a large engineering team on, on the Monix app because it's a key to customer engagement. And that's the future of of everything is, is engaging customers. So at the end of every transaction that a customer makes with the Monix app, um, and I mean whether they buy a candy bar, a dollar, three dollar uh, energy drink, whatever it might be, uh, or it, it, this extends out to car washes and air machines and everything else, wherever there's a NIAX reader and someone's got the Monix app, at the end of that transaction, the, the phone's going to light up and it's going to say, shake me. It's called our shake me feature. It's the epitome of customer engagement. At the end of every single transaction, we want that customer to go like this. Basically, I'm shaking my phone. We want that customer to shake the phone after every transaction. The more they shake their phone, the more money is dropping into their Monix wallet app, free from NIAX. There's a video 
um, a whole list of videos that I, I can send out to artists and she can send out to all of you that can, if you're able to partially see or if you have others in your business that can, can look at these videos, you'll get a visual representation of exactly how this Shake Me feature works. It's the coolest thing. So in other words, at the end of every transaction, we want that customer to engage in that transaction. They shake their phone, they have fun, and they get money. And in the uh, video, it's 11 cents. It could be a penny, it could be a nickel. It's going to be a random amount, but the more, not a random amount. It's based on how much they shake. We want them to engage. So they're going to get money free into that app every single time they make a purchase with that. Now, on your side, you want them to use it. Not whether you use the the uh, promotions or not is secondary. When they're using that Monix app, you're paying 5% for those transactions. So you're paying less than what you, you would be paying when they're using their credit card uh, on every single transaction. So it's a win-win. It's a win if you want to use rewards and loyalty. It's a win because you're going to get a, a lower processing fee on these transactions. And it's a win because your customers are going to love it and they get free money. So that's, and again, the, the Monix app is part of your regular monthly fee, which we'll talk about at the end of this. Um, and the monthly fee isn't going to be any more than what you're currently paying. Um, let's see. What else can we talk about? Um, these readers, our readers can be branded. So you can put your own name and logo. Yeah, up to two of the graphics you control. So you can brand it. You can put messaging on there. You can put your name, company, and logo. So when the customer's up there making their purchase, they can see who they're buying from. You can put a phone number. You can do whatever you want. You have two up to two graphics that you control. Um, I mentioned LAN and Wi-Fi. Um, we have an app. So there's a gentleman in Georgia. I forgot his name. He works uh, or he consults with the Georgia BEP there. And he did a lot of testing on accessibility. Because one of the challenges that operators have, blind operators have, and, and I'll, let me move away from blind operators. Let's say that you have a site and you want to do inventory. And you'll call me and you'll say, Harry, you know, uh, can, can I do inventory? And you have full sight. I'll say, sure you can. But that person is afraid of computers. They have full sight, but they're afraid of computers. It's not something that they, they're used to. They don't have anybody on staff, uh, possibly, but they themselves are afraid of computers. So they'll ask me, well, how easy is it to do it? I'll say, it's not hard at all, but you have to not be afraid of using computers, right? And, 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 uh, in, in those cases, if they're afraid of using computers, I'll say, well, you need to have somebody who's not, who's going to be able to help guide you and teach you. We can train that person. You can be there. But it's, you're not going to be able to do it yourself if you're afraid of using technology because it does involve a little bit more involvement than just looking at your sales. So um, if I'm talking to a blind vendor and I'm having the same conversation, then I'm going to ask the same question. And, and if they're uh, um, afraid of computers and they're blind, let's say fully or, or mostly, then they're going to have even more of an issue. But it's not limited to the accessibility as much as it is to the fear of using computers. 
So if, if it's a blind operator who is very te- who is into technology and is not afraid of computers, um, then it's a question of uh, the accessibility of the program, uh, et cetera. So this gentleman in Georgia who consulted, um, he found that just about all the systems have are not really accessible all that well. They all have their limitations, and blind operators pretty much struggle with most of them. He looked at ours. He's looked at others. He said NIACs might be a touch better, but these systems that you log into just aren't very accessible, unfortunately. But he, we have an app, a different app. I mentioned the Rewards and Loyalty app. We have a different app. It's called MoMA, M-O-M-A. That app he tested, and that's fully – the problem we have, we'll put an inventory aside. Um, in a lot of these blind enterprise programs, a lot of operators wait until they get their uh, money in their account. And, and they, they wait on their, on the money coming into their account because they are afraid to log in the computer or it's not accessible and it's, it's difficult for them to go and log in and see their sales. So they just wait. Well, MoMA, which is that app I just mentioned, he tested it and it's extremely accessible. So it, it allows very easily for operators who have been afraid to see their sales to be able to see their sales effortlessly. Uh, and it allows you to be able to do partially your inventory as well, uh, because you can, when you get to the machine, you can fill inventory as well. Um, but inventory, as I said, that's, that's not really a, a, a question. Well, I'm blind. Can I, you know, how easy is it? it? The first question is, are you afraid of technology? Is you're afraid of technology? It doesn't matter whether you're, you're, you're blind or you're not and how much, how much you can see or not. You're really going to need somebody to handhold you through the training. Um, if you're, uh, if you have technology, uh, if you're not scared of technology, you're not scared of computers, you've done Excel, you've done Microsoft Word, et cetera, and, and you, you know how to maneuver, then, then it's, it's really then a matter of having some accessibility and not being, uh, uh, because you're not afraid of the technology. And, and that's how operators are able, uh, to be able to mis- maneuver, especially on the inventory side. So I wanted to make that clear also. We have a very accessible app called MoMA again. All that's built into the monthly fee. We don't charge extra, not a penny, not a dollar, nothing extra for anything else. The device that we sell is called the VPOS Touch. That's a full resolution. I, I sort of mentioned a little bit about how it, it's, it's a high resolution display, et cetera. It's very interactive and, and we add all kinds of features to it. So, and we keep adding features to it. It's a sort of a future proof device. So one of the features we're adding to it is a capability of, uh, I mentioned we're in 60 countries. So we take um, um, many, many different currencies um, and we speak in all these different languages and, we, and we, we, uh, we have graphics in all these different languages and we write in different languages on these readers. So we're, we're putting in a feature so that Let's say, you, uh, depending on what state you're in, if you have multilingual, because the U.S. is very a melting pot, um, if you want to be able to have, let's say, uh, the uh, opera, the uh, customer come over and switch between Spanish and English, you'll be able to do that with our reader. Um, um, I, I know we're running out of time. I think uh, my time is up to 930. Is that correct? And then we take questions and answers. Yep. Is that correct? So... Um, let me just very quickly say the pricing, uh, and then I'll take all kinds of questions. 
um, the, the standard pricing that we, we offer for the blind enterprise programs is $289. Um, but those that have devices from other companies, and many of, many of you that have devices from other companies are in a position where they're telling you you have to upgrade, you have to upgrade, you have to upgrade. NIAX is going to allow you to trade in a competitor's device and get the, the, the hottest device that VPOS Touch that I've been referring to in the world for $239. We'll discount that $50 back when you trade in a competitor's device. So the hardware is going to cost you anywhere from $239 to $289. We'd prefer if um, there's some buying power here and potentially BEPs. And I, I should mention, I've spoken to, I've given these type of talks the various BEPs around the country and spoken to many, many operators. The preference is, if we can, is to have the BEPs enter into some agreement where they can do a bulk purchasing for many operators so we don't have to necessarily take individual operator calls. But I don't mind doing that if that's a way to, to open doors to, to uh, uh, and, and the, the prices there, 289 or 239 if trading in. The monthly fee? Depends on whether you're doing inventory or you're just doing sales reporting. And, and again, all our features are built into it. And I've only mentioned some of them. There are a lot more. Um, monthly fee is $4.95 a month if you're just doing your uh, all your sales and all these features. $4.95 a month. If you want to add inventory, $6.59. It just goes up about $1.50. Okay? Your processing fee is 5.40%, 5.4%. And I mentioned if you use the Monix app, if your customers utilize the Monix app, you're only going to be paying 5%. Um, I'm going to stop. There's a lot more. I could speak for probably uh, an hour to an hour and a half, uh, but I, I, there are a lot of things that are going to come through questions, hopefully, and I'll, I'll, I'll cut through a lot by that. So please feel free to ask me anything. You bet. Um... Harry, this has been been great, and I, I'm going to ask you a question to start it off. And then sure. uh, my question is, um, I, I have a, a college setting and love your equipment. Have it everywhere except one location. Um, it's on the first floor of a building, and I can't even get cell phone service in there. Any recommendations of some things I could try to make those things work? Because... Uh, that's my busiest bank of machines as well. So uh, we're both missing out here. What is there any recommendations you have? I just looked you up real fast. So you're 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 in Minnesota, right? Minnesota, yes. Mm -hmm. Your your uh, your agency, uh, Blind Enterprise Program, uh, buys your equipment, correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you're in a location that's cellular challenged, and you've already tried the high gain antenna, correct? And it doesn't help, correct? Yep. Right. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so is it a government building by chance? Yeah, it's a college, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, and is there a difference between Verizon and AT&T when someone's using a cell phone in that location? Uh, I, that I couldn't answer you for sure. I don't think so. It seems like everybody has trouble down there. So, All right. So you're saying that people are using cell, when they try to use their cell phones, whether it's a Verizon phone or an AT&T, they complain. Right. All right. So that's just a... A poor cellular location, there's very little you can do about it. When I asked, as I said, one of the features we have that's unique to us is we built in 
uh, Ethernet and Wi-Fi. So the, the question there is whether the university, because they know that they're suffering by not allowing their customers to be able to use credit cards and phone payments, um, they, they, they have to open the door to run an Ethernet cable to that device of yours because we'll support it. Uh, or you, you, there's a device called a, um, a Wi-Fi range extender. It's like a $20, $25 device online. Okay. And the Wi-Fi range extender uh, uh, allows you to tap into the Wi-Fi in that location with the password. I'm assuming it's passworded. That that device allows you to tap into it, and then you plug the Wi-Fi range extender into our device, and we'll pass the transactions through the Wi-Fi network. Okay. Great. I'm going to check into that. I feel free to reach out to me uh, about that. I, I work very closely with your uh, BEP. Yes. Okay, I, I definitely will. So uh, do we have some questions lined up? Good afternoon, Harry. It's Dwayne Cisco and uh, West Virginia NYCHA branch officer. Good, how are you? Sure. How are you, good sir? Talking. Good. It's good talking to you again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm really glad you made it today because uh, I'm, I'm working on a project for the NIAX readers, or actually for card readers in general. And through all this, there were only two things that uh, that I had that I didn't hear you uh, touch base on uh, the sure. warranty of the units and then the support that would go along with those units. Sure. So the, the uh, devices come with a one-year warranty, including shipping back and forth. And year one to two, there's a, uh, uh, should it be needed, there's a refurbished option. And beyond that, um, so it's really a one-year warranty. It's a one-year full warranty. Okay, so does that cover, is there any anything specific on that one year, or is it just box it up, send it back, but when I, will when NIAX uh, pay the return shipping on that, or is that up to the vendor? No, NIAX will pay the return shipping, yes, on, uh, on, on, um, on, one year, on, the, on the one year warranty, correct. And it, the way it works is that um, uh, you would call the opera, and again, each, each, I know each, um, BEP is, handles things differently, but assuming that the BEP is either the operator is going to call us or the BEP on behalf of the operator is going to call us and be in front of the machine. They try to, our tech support will troubleshoot us. You asked about support. We have multiple ways of support. We have, uh, our large staff that you call by phone. We have an email address where people can, if they don't necessarily need an answer right away, they're not in front of the machine, they can send an email to our tech support and get uh, uh, through email. Um, we have uh, NIAX University, where we have a whole video library. Of so you have kind of a, a self-help uh, tutorial as well. So on the, on the call by phone, is that a 24-hour hotline or is that No, a- it is not. No, it's 8.30 to 8.30 Eastern time. 8.30 to 8.30 Eastern time from Monday through Friday and Saturday it's 8.30 to 1.30. Okay. There is some discussion of possibly going longer, but at this point, those are our hours. All right. That's great. Well, that should do it. Thank you very much. There are no other hands. Okay. The way I will end is just saying, uh, reinforcing the fact that when you buy from NIACS, you're buying from the engineering company. I can't stress that enough. It helps in so many, many multiple ways. And I'm available. I'll give you my cell number. I'll give you my email address. Artists can send it out as well. But if any of you are writing or you have a pen handy, feel free to write. Um, all of the um, all of the participants received it in their handouts. Great. 
All right, so feel free uh, at the individual level or even better at the BEP level uh, or at the uh, HR level, uh, uh, the purchasing level, to reach out to me. And I can go into much more detail and offer you uh, emails to talk about differentiations, et cetera. And I'm here to help. Harry, this is Dan Sipple. Uh, glad to talk to you. Glad to hear your voice again. Yeah, um, yeah. how are but, you? Uh, I'm doing real good, real good. Retirement is tr- not treating me what I anticipated with the COVID, but yet we're we're getting by. <laughs> so, but yeah. I just wanted to just take one minute uh, to reemphasize a couple, one at least one of the points that you brought out, and sure. that is about the mag stripe versus the EV, EVM. Is that the mag stripe by law is going to go away? And, uh, you know, NAMA has uh, been successful in postponing that. You know, Europe has um, been on it for 25 or 26 years now to give you the mag stripe. And so, you know, and I get calls from operators around the country that, hey, my card reader is acting up and this and that. I said, well, you know, maybe your uh, card, the card carrier is not accepting the stripe and mag stripe anymore and that you have to upgrade your, and, a lot of our members are unaware um, of the, the new requirement uh, in the computer chip and with the tap and gold card and the advantages of how the customers like the tap and gold card and so on and so forth. So I guess I just want to reemphasize the fact that um, if you still have the old uh, mag stripe readers, um, get them replaced yesterday. And Dan, thank you very much. And I would add one thing to that. It's a very important point. Um, even if you upgrade, you can upgrade today to equipment that will be called EMV. They're not talking about NIAX here, other companies. And it won't have a chip slot. And it, it allows you, I didn't talk about this, but on the back, if you look at the back of your credit card, you might see four wavy symbols. You see four wavy symbols. That means that you can wave that card in front of a reader instead of using the chip and inserting it. You can actually wave it. It's also a secure EMB transaction, just like when you insert the chip. Okay. But the problem is that you can actually pay money to upgrade with other companies today and they'll sell you a reader that they'll say takes care of EMV for you, but it doesn't offer chip. And most, uh, only 40 or 50% of the country today has the cards that have the wave symbol on the back, meaning that if you don't have the wave symbol on the back, you can't wave it. It's not going to work. And most people that even have the wave symbol, like yourselves potentially, you don't know what, what that means because you're so used to inserting in the United States. You want to insert that chip because that's what you've been doing when you go retail. So someone's going to, people are going to buy non-NIAX readers upgrading. They're going to think that they're, they're, they're doing a good thing. And, and they are and that in some respects, it's, it it is EMB, but their customers are going to come to that reader. They're not going to see chip. And when they don't see chip, um, they're going to, and and they don't know what tap means or they don't have the tap sum on the back of their card. They're going to magnetic stripe it. And it's still going to work on that same reader. So you got to be careful. If you're not going to utilize NIAX uh, for whatever reasons, you got to be careful that you got a chip on your on your reader today in the United States. 
Otherwise, you're going to still take magnetic stripe and you're still going to be subject to those penalties I talked about. So, Dan, thank you very much for bringing that up. And one other point I'd like to emphasize, too, I'm going to take one more minute here, Harry, is that um, with the NIACs, and I, you know, you know, I really don't want to advocate for anyone to put brand. There's a lot of good products out there, but in my mind, yours is one of the, the best. But um, the fact that the instant um, alerts that you have, you have available, you know, and um, I think I want to emphasize the fact that if you, some of the other um, manufacturers or suppliers, uh, you have to wait for your customers to call you and say, hey, your card reader's down or your kiosk is down or whatever. Then you have to go out there and see what's wrong with it, where your instant alerts um, and the, your capability of rebooting right from your from central um, is so valuable. It's just unbelievable. It's just all, you just down just that much better customer service. Thank you, Dan. That's the power down and the power up alert I was talking about. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, Dan. Um, yeah. Any questions? Uh, um, yeah, we'll, we'll ask for one quick question. I, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you one quick, Harry, um, before you go, uh, what's the future look like? Is there anything coming out there that we should be thinking about or know about? Well, as I mentioned, that VPAS Touch is, is uh, you want to call it a early generation. It's built with technology that we can add a lot of features. So um, instant receipts potentially are coming into that device. Um, touchless. Oh, this is important. This is important. If you're buying newer machines that have what's called MDB 4.3 or above, meaning those are the newer model machines from from um, the manufacturers, Betson, uh, you name it. If they're selling you a machine that supports uh, MDB 4.3, um, then the Monix app that I mentioned that gives free money and allows you to do promotions, that app will suck up the inventory. Someone in front of the machine, instead of him having to press the buttons, we talk about touchless because of COVID, we've built that into the Monix app. It'll suck up the inventory from the machine into the phone in a second, and the customer can make their their selections hmm. from the machine, from the phone, from Monix, and drop the product and pay for it without touching a button on the machine. That's cool. NIAC technology straight. There's no third. Other companies are trying to do it or have done it, but they're using websites to do it and workarounds. NIAC is doing it directly through MDB 4.3. And again, other companies can do things that are similar or, or can, can market themselves similarly, but nobody can do what NIAX can do because it's the, the best analogy I can give you is this. When you buy NIAX, you're buying the Mercedes directly from Mercedes <laughs> with all the features that, that with the Mercedes features that are important to help you increase your sales at the same price. So you think of a Mercedes being, you know, zillions of dollars. You're buying the Mercedes of features at the same price that you're buying. Uh, I, I don't mean to demean it, but I'm just saying a, uh, a smaller car, a Chevy or something that you're buying from a distributor. So NIAX engineers it. It's our device. It's our technology. When, when, if something goes down, it's our engineers on it. Other companies, it's not their device. They're buying from third party, does the basics. They incrementally will 
add prices for new features, et cetera. It's not their technology. It makes a difference. Technology matters. I'll leave it at that. That is so important, Gary, because, you know, I've tried to various other companies over the years, and you get this finger-pointing attitude developed, and that's a a no-win situation when you get finger-pointing. But having all in-house, that uh, takes all that away and just uh, minimizes uh, the comfort level. Yep, your your Harry, your customer service is excellent. I, I I can tell you, I just every time I have to call in for something, I just come away smiling because they do their level best to make it right with you. So, well, yep. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Yep, thank you for coming in today. Yeah, uh, one last call for any more questions. Otherwise, we'll be moving on here. So, all right, I appreciate your time. I look forward to speaking to you. All the best. Thank everybody. you, Harry. Thank you Stay much. Healthy. Thank you. Thank you Bye. very much, Harry. Bye bye. Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. We will be moving on to our next presenter. Why not use temp agencies? And uh, this one I have a little knowledge in because I have, over the years, used temp agencies, and I speak very highly of them. So I'm very curious to hear this presentation we have Tanya Martyr with us, and uh, she's going to talk about uh, temp agencies. So I'm going to turn the floor over to you and uh, let you begin. Thank you so much, Scott, for that introduction. That is wonderful. Thank you so much. So, yes, my name is Tanya Marler. I work for Graham Staffing Services. We are a economically disadvantaged woman-owned small business. That's a lot to say, which is why I have to think about it. <laughs> So we are classified as that kind of business. Graham has been in business for over 35 years now. Graham first started in the Washington, D.C. area, Maryland, Virginia, saw a need for it there. The owner actually is named Ruth Graham. That is their last name. The company got bought out about six, seven years ago by uh, Nina Martin. She actually lives in Orlando, which is why we transitioned to Florida. I myself am outside of Jacksonville. So the nice thing about us is just because we're in Florida does not mean we can't do nationwide. We have recruiters in the D.C. area. We have recruiters in California. We have recruiters in the Midwest. So we, we've got people everywhere to help you out. Specifically, Graham, we tend to do any role within administrative, IT, human resources, legal. We also offer sign language interpreting, which is a really nice job that we do to help those that are deaf and hard of hearing. So that's one thing that we do. We do provide temp as well as temp to hire as well as direct hire services. So why use a staff agency? The million dollar questions. As you guys know, after COVID, the job market kind of went into a roller coaster. People don't want to go back to work. They're scared about COVID. Whatever the reason might be, the market everywhere, not just in Florida, but everywhere in the U.S., has definitely been hit. Specifically why? That's a million dollar question. But one of the benefits of working with a staffing agency is that you don't have to deal with any of the headaches, the heartaches, the people not showing up. We do everything for you. We go ahead and post the job for you. We go through thousands and thousands of resumes. We have really good pool of candidates throughout the U.S., not just locally here in Florida, but throughout the U.S. So we really have the tools to get the best person for you. 
we go ahead and screen them. If you say, hey, we want somebody that has good Excel skills or word skills or communication skills, data entry skills, IT skills, whatever it is that you need, we could definitely have that individual do assessments. We can provide the assessments for you to review if you'd like. So that's another way that you get to see the whole picture of the individual. We also can provide background screenings, drug screenings, whatever it is that you need. We have done that before in the past, and we definitely do do that for our candidates. We want to make sure that we send the best of the best out to you. Another reason that it's great to use a staffing agency is the increasing hiring speed. A lot of times if it's just you, you know, you're running your business, you're doing it, whatever it is that you have to do. If you hire a staffing agency, it makes it a lot easier for us to focus on that because that's what we do. So we put one of our recruiters looking for the specific role for you. We ask them to look for it and then we'll usually provide about three to five resumes, depending on what you are looking for. And then we wait to get feedback from you. Based on that feedback, if you'd like to schedule an interview nowadays with Zoom, like we are right now, we could do it via Zoom. You could do it via person. You could do it via phone, whatever it is that you'd like to do. So we do have the nice ability to work with whatever parameters you set for us. Another reason is flexibility. Uh, you know, some of the jobs that you might be looking for part-time. So we do have a good part-time of people that are looking just for part-time roles. We have full-time. Uh, like I said, we offer direct hire as well. So if you just want somebody direct hire, we could do that as well. We really tailor it to specifically what you're looking for. One of the nice things about Graham that we do is we make it a point to not only vet the person, but we create a partnership with them. You know, when we interview the people, we don't just do a phone call. We can meet with them in person to make sure this is the right fit for them. We could uh, do it via Zoom. Whatever it is that you're asking us to do, we can do for you. Um, right now, the craziest thing with this job market is, is that people, we've had experiences, we've heard clients say, hey, I hired this person and they don't show up. Why they don't do that, I couldn't tell you. But a lot of times we make sure that when somebody is hired through Graham, we make every single possible wave to make sure that they show up. So it's one of the benefits of working with the staffing agency is that you have the reliability, you have the accessibility to our pool, to our skill set testing, to the background checks, to the drug checks, to anything else that you need. And you don't have to worry about it. We make the process really easy for you. Just sign a contract and you say, hey, I need this person to start such and such date. We get working on it and we do whatever it is that you have to do. We make it really, really easy. And our goal is to help you as a business owner, because as an old business owner, I used to own the businesses before I started working for Graham. I know how hard it is to find good, qualified individuals. And when you want somebody specifically that you need and that's not working out, it's really hard on you. And then you have to kind of pick up the slack. So, like I said, you really don't have to do anything. We'll post it. We'll recruit. We do everything and if you'd like them to be temps, we can keep them on our payroll until you decide to hire them directly if you want to go that route. If you don't want to hire them directly and you don't like that individual, then we can also find another individual. It really makes it easy for you to just worry about doing your business and not worrying about anything else. So using Graham as your go-to staffing agency has many benefits for companies facing urgent hiring needs, seasonal positions, the needs for specific skills, time restrictions, or even a tight budget. Graham can help your company save money and reduce any hassle, distraction, risk, 
In addition, Graham can provide services both for recruiting and HR outsourcing if that's something that you ever need. So I know I'm supposed to be done by three, I believe. If anybody has any questions, please feel free to let me know. Well, I'll start off if there's questions. We certainly would love those, but I can convey a little bit of my positive experience working with a temp agency. I was in a college environment, and I would have a need for someone during the school year. And so a lot of times it was a school student that would come in and want to work for me, and they would come through the temp agency. Well, if it's someone I didn't like, like you said, I could just let the temp agency know, and they would bring me another person. What I found more often than not is when I got a good employee, the funny thing was, as time was coming to their end of the school year, and they knew they wouldn't be back because they'd be graduating, et cetera, they would work hard to find me a replacement for them. They loved their job so much, they would recruit their friends to find out who still was going to be at school next year, and that would come in to work for me. So (laughs) it was quite an amazing relationship, but I I just can't say enough good things about uh, a temp agency. And uh, in my case, of course, they took care of all the payroll, so I got to cut one check, and it was all done. It was so easy, so nice, Um, just a fantastic service. Yeah, thank you, Scott. That's wonderful. You know, and like we were saying with the payroll, we make sure all the payroll taxes are taken care of. You don't have to worry about filing, which I know they're not easy. My prior job to this was a CPA, so I switched specifically for a reason because I was tired of doing all those number crunching. (laughs) Yep. One of the reasons that I know how tedious it is to do those payroll taxes because it's not fun. So we take care of that for you. We also offer vacation and sick time, and you don't have to pay any of that. We do that for our employees if they met the certain parameters and the certain hours that they have to work, but we also provide that for them. So you literally don't have to worry about anything. You just go ahead and say, hey, we need this person. You might need it for a day. You might need somebody for a month. You might need them for a year, whatever amount of time that you need. Literally, we can fulfill it. Just our goal is to serve you as our clients and to make your life that much easier. Yep, absolutely. Any questions? There are no raised hands on the attendees' side. I know that I did submit a flyer, so if you guys need my information, I believe you have access to it with the agenda and with the information that was given. But if not, I'll be happy to put it in the chat and share it with everybody. But like I said, anything that you guys need, we're, we're happy to do. Like I said, it's not just locally here in Florida, but anywhere in the nation. Just because I'm in sunny Florida does not mean we can't help anybody in freezing cold Seattle or wherever it might be. How about how about freezing cold Minnesota, which is not today by any means. It's quite beautiful. But uh, do you do you have a reach out that far? Yeah, we've. Uh, the only reason I said Seattle was because we had to fill a role in Seattle, which literally is the utmost opposite end of where we're at. But yeah, we've done Texas, we've done the Midwest, we've done the Northeast, we've obviously done California. So anywhere that you need somebody, we can definitely help out with. Okay, great. Yes, everyone received a speaker's list with contact information. So they can, if they want to contact you, they can go to that list. Wonderful. Thank you, Ardis. I appreciate it. Well, if nobody has any questions, I'll be happy to leave, but please know that we're here to help you guys out.
You you may get a call from me next week. <laughs> awesome. Well, I look forward to it. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate the time, and I hope you guys have a wonderful afternoon. Yes, thank you thank for coming. You. Thank so you. So appreciate it. So. Okay, would you like me to give a couple of door prizes? I was going to say, artists, I believe it's time for some door prizes. <laughs> you beat me to the punch. <laughs> okay, I have two names here. Uh, Tim Davis and Jose Quintanella. Oh, And you'll fantastic. be receiving a, a gift card um, in your email. All right, well, congratulations. And, uh, yep, be looking for that uh, note in your email and... Uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're thrilled you're all here, and uh, congratulations to the winners. And you'll be hearing a video. Good afternoon. My name is Trish Arns Bryant. I am with Microtronic Cashless Solutions. We're here for our presentation for our virtual trade show. The way our system works is it is completely cashless except for the loading station. Whenever someone comes in to a facility, the first thing they would do is go and purchase a card from the card dispenser. The card can be any price. This one just happens to be priced at $5. We can preload any amount on each card if you wish us to. We can uh, have samples of some operators load $2.50 onto each card, or we do that for them, and then they sell it for 5 So it gives the customer a sense of a deposit basically on the card, but it's not actually a deposit. It's just a value on the card so they don't toss it. Then they would come over to the loading station. They would place their card on the vending reader. See, this one has $48. Once they put their card up, it then activates the bill acceptor. So then they can add whatever amount maximum that you would like to load onto a card. For instance, our facility in Puerto Rico, the maximum each person can have on their card is $60. So once they get to the $60 mark or within the $60 mark, our display would read uh, maximum and it would it, um, spit the other bill out. So they can't overload the card. If you have Devitech, for instance, or an existing card system, then you would also purchase our loading, our transfer station. Right now, this one is just showing a Devitech reader. Uh, obviously, it's not working because it's a bad reader, but we would put in your reader and then our reader. So whenever, an example, a Devitech customer would come in, they would insert their card into the Devitech reader, put our card on the reader, and the, the money would automatically transfer. Again, this one's not active, so it's not, I can't show you anything specific. This is the reader kit itself. This is the, uh, it's called the MEI cash flow. This one is for strictly um, offline cashless vending. This is the antenna, what we call the antenna, and our pre-drilled knockout plate. As you can see, it would go into a standard knockout plate area. We have four screws in the back and two cables coming from the back. So normally this would go in the knockout plate. Then this piece would be Velcroed, literally Velcroed into the um, local, local area of the 
Our the antenna in the vending machine. Then you have your MDB cables. So you've got your MDB cables here that would go into the vending machine and um, control board. Um, the vending process, this is our sample machine. So what we're going to do is we're going to come here. We're going to place the card onto the reader. It shows $48. We're going to make our selection of 32. So it made the bend. Thank you. Enjoy. The reader goes back to green. Place the card back to the reader. And now it's $47. Okay, this machine is actually a SureVend machine. So it has the sensor. Okay, so um, that was the last one in number 32. So I'm going to place the card to the reader again. Right here, just like this. 32. Now it's going to try to vent. I've taken the card away. So now it starts flashing yellow. I put the card back, goes back to $47. So it's given an instant refund because it does have a sure vend and there is a sensor. So there, it knows that there was no product. Now, if it was not a sure vend machine, it would take the money off the card. So that is something to consider. But again, the reader goes into a standard knockout plate. Very simple, clean, um, clean look. Then whenever it's time to pull reports, we have our statistic key. This is just, a, actually this is a 4K key. And this is what's called our TML6. The TML6 would be plugged into your PC or laptop via USB. And you would use our MDS View software. So once you take the key over, place it to the reader, it starts beeping, and then it flashes to red. Once it flashes to red, the all of your sales data is on this key. Then you would take this key and upload to your computer. I do not have this one actually plugged into a computer, but we will pull the report and I will show you that shortly that you're going to be using is called MDS View. This is where you download the key using the TML6 and the key. This will give you the reports that you see over here to the left. If it's in bold, like this one here, that means it's got a new reading. If it's um, not bold, then you, have, you do not have a new reading for that machine. Right now we're gonna open the cold food machine so over here, you will see all of the readings that have been taken through history for this particular machine put in in 2018. So we're going to go over here to October. The way the dates show up over here to the side, it will be the first two digits are the year, the second two digits are the month, the third two digits are the date, and 01 would be it's been read one time on that day. If there's more than one reading on that day, then it will be 02, 03, etc. So over here, you can see that is a cold food machine, what type of reader it is, the fact that um, it was the reader date and time is October the 5th of 2020. It was first programmed 
uh, July the 8th of 2016. The previous reading for the statistic key was September 10th of 2020. This particular reading is October 5th of 2020. So there, here it will come down and we'll show you each one of the selections by selection number, the price, and how many units have sold for this actual reading. The actual quantity will always be the current reading that you just ta has taken. When you come over here to the side, you have the backup reading. This is your historical data from the time the reader was attached to the machine. So if we scroll down, we can see that this machine historically has done $15,731.95. This particular reading between the previous reading and this reading, the sales were $650.75. You come over here to the far left, you can see open transactions or vend failed. That's where someone lost their money. There's nothing on this actual reading for the 650. But historically, there was $7 in failures for this particular machine. This means basically that if it was a sure vend, they did not put their, their card back when the, vent, the food did not drop. So then we can come over here to the, um, to the reporting. You can open it up up here in HTML. I know that there is a speaking program for HTML, so we're gonna go ahead and open that here. And this where you'll see where it pops up in an HTML file, you can print it. Um, it cannot be manipulated. That's one of the best things about this type of reporting, but it gives you all of the exact same data that you just saw in the MDS view program. I'm gonna show you a loading station. One of the great things about the loading station is the fact that it will tell you how many ones, fives, tens, and twenties were loaded. This one is the first reading on this particular machine. So it tells you again how in the collection bag, how many ones, fives, tens, and twenties should be in that collection bag and what the exact total is for each collection. That's pretty much all the reporting that you're gonna really need for our readers. So I uh, hope this helps and hope to hear from you soon. Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Before we bring on our, our next presenter, uh, Jesse, uh, just a reminder that soon you're going to be seeing information coming out about Sagebrush, and we are really hopeful that we will get to meet in person. Uh, I just can't wait to see some smiling faces that I have not seen for a couple of years. And uh, uh, I, I know personally for me, of course, it'll be a little warmer weather than where I'm coming from. But uh, uh, yeah, be looking for some announcements and it's it's going to be uh, another spectacular sagebrush. We've got a lot of things going. We've got some more things we're continuing to put together. And uh, yeah, it, it's going to be so good to be back in person with you all. So with that, uh, I don't know if Artis has anything else to add, but we uh, will maybe just jump right into uh, our next presenter. Jesse, are you with us? I am, Scott. How are you? I am fantastic. Good to hear from you. So, yep. uh, Jesse, I'm, I'm just going to turn the floor over to you, and uh, uh, please enlighten us with some of the information that you have. All right. Thank you, Scott, and thank you for the invitation. Um, 
I'll go and ahead and apologize. I don't know that you'll hear it, but there is some um, construction going on um, close by. I apologize if that's coming coming through. I've tried to move myself to the uh, <laughs> most isolated place in my we're, house. We're not hearing anything, so you're all good. Awesome. Thank you. Well, um, greetings. I bring you greetings from Carol Dobak, who is the acting RSA commissioner at this time while we await um, news of the nomination and confirmation of an RSA commissioner, and as well as um, Corinne Weidenthal, who is the chief of the service programs unit within RSA. That's where the Randolph Shepherd team is housed. Um, and we have a full team at this time with Christine Grassman and James McCarthy, who serve on the Randolph Shepherd team. Uh, Christine uh, handles our conflict resolution approach, and Jim McCarthy primarily has handled arbitrations. But uh, moving forward, we are um, going to take a little bit of the approach that other units within RSA um, has done. The VR unit has monitoring teams, and while we will work together to monitor programs, um, we are going to divide the country into three three sections, and one uh, member of the RSA team will be the primary uh, contact liaison for um, a third of the states. And so more information will be coming out about that uh, as we move forward. But um, we, we thought it would be helpful to have specific contacts. Obviously, we will work together to address issues that may arise. Um, before moving into the topic that I'm going to speak about, which is TAC 2102, dealing with um, third partying of vending machine, um, vending machines on federal property. Um, I do want to just a couple notes of activities within RSA. Obviously, uh, one of the big accomplishments for the agency this year, um, we learned on somewhere between Christmas and New Year's that Congress had appropriated or made available $20 million to provide relief uh, for, for Randolph Shepard vendors due to the COVID pandemic. Um, we, uh, while we were not expecting that, we were, we were pleased uh, that Congress did um, appropriate money to, to provide relief. Um, it, it involved an incredible amount of work in a very short time across RSA and within the Department of Education um, to to get the um, go through the hoops that we need to to get that money out. Um, we have uh, by I think the middle of August we allocated all of those funds to all the states, um, and I know a number of states have already. Uh, distributed uh, through their formulas, distributed the monies to the vendors um, who were eligible to receive FR FRRP funds um, to the SLA representatives on, um, on the call. Information has gone out about um, when, when the 425 report is due about those funds. And we are, um, 
actively working to um, get the the performance report that will have to go through the OMB process approved so that those can be filled out. But uh, more information will come on that soon. Also for uh, uh, SLA uh, individuals who are attending uh, here, the um, RSA, the new RSA 15 report, is uh, going to be open up for FI 2021. That report should be available for you this Monday to start completing the data for FI 2021. Um, the deadline to have that submitted is December 31st of this year. And Scott, if I may, I'll just I'll just kind of highlight so the vendors are aware what changes have happened on the report. Um, so, so that the vendors are aware when they see it, there'll, there'll be some new things. Um, some things have been removed. Some things have been moved around. Yes. Uh, yeah. Please, please educate us. We, uh, we, we would love to know. So, um, section one of the report, which is really kind of like your profit and loss, uh, the profit and loss statement for all vendors, I guess is the best way to describe, um, section one, but that, that deals with mostly your, your sales and all the, um, items that would be associated with your income, loss, benefits, uh, set-asides paid. Um, but it also asked, it used to ask three questions about employees. One was if there were any other blind people who were employed in the program, uh, other people with disabilities, and then non-disabled individuals. And now the report just asks for individuals with disabilities and uh, essentially the total number of employees. So that would cut down some questions that maybe were, you know, just maybe cut down the burden. The biggest changes to the report are in section four. This is the expenditures section of the RSA 15, where you see what your SLA and uh, how the funds are being used that are, go into the program. We consolidated two lines so that purchase of new equipment and replacement equipment are on the same line of the RSA 15. And then we separated out what was refurbishment of facilities is now broken into two categories. There's refurbishment uh, of existing facilities and acquisition of new facilities. So one cost deals with um what, what you're spending money on to, to do things in existing and the other, the cost associated with, um, preparing a new facility for use in the BEP program. Um, that was done because, uh, there are some federal costs that are not allowable for existing facilities that are allowable for existing. And in the same manner, there are, there has always been a line for initial stock on the RSA 15 that remains. Um, and there is now a, um, spot for initial operating cost. Um, those costs associated with the, within the first six months of operating the facility. Uh, so those are the changes to the RSA 15. Also, uh, I do want to point out this SLA members listening and uh, blind vendors for, for notes. Um, one section of the report asks for um, uh, vending machine income dispersed to blind vendors uh, since section one, line eight or other 
rebates, the, those type of things. Uh, we have learned that uh, the FRRP funds that were distributed to blind vendors should go on line eight of the FI 2021 report. Um, we received that question and, and um, more guidance will come out on that, but I do want people to be aware that that should be captured on that line. Uh, now, uh, I'll just say that we continue to um, review rules that have been submitted by states and operating agreements and uh, those arbitrations that have been requested and are in progress. Um, we are continuing to work our way through those items. We uh, hopefully will be clearing some rules very soon um, for a couple of states that have submitted them. Some are in um, second or third round reviews. I'll jump to the topic at hand, um, which is TAC 2102, which came out in around June this year. And the background on why this came up and why we thought we needed to issue the guidance, we were receiving uh, in the department, we were receiving questions from both state licensing agencies and a couple of federal agencies uh, asked the question, um, how is this supposed to work exactly? The law says this, um, we say this, the federal agency is doing that. What is going on with vending machine income? And uh, because to the department, there seemed to be um, some confusion in the field about what the law says and how it ought to be carried out. It was decided that we should issue a technical assistance circular to provide um, information on this area. And what came out of that deliberation was TAC 2102. And our interpretation of the statute is that the Randolph Shepard priority on federal property uh, is that blind individuals licensed by a state will have a priority in operating vending facilities on federal property. And uh, within the definition of vending facility are vending machines. So vending machines are a vending facility. So the priority to operate vending machines we interpreted through the TAC that that meant that blind people should be assigned those machines and to, to operate and to do the vending, that the priority did not mean states could just send in a third-party contractor and, and have commissions paid back to the state um, is the, the gist of what the, the TAC said. We do know that at the same time, blind vendors do have the ability to third-party uh, vending machines if it is a it's a business decision of the blind vendor. Um, we understand that this interpretation is uh, may may be seen as a, a dramatic shift in what has been happening, but we feel that it meets the true. Uh, intent of the statute to provide remunerative employment to blind individuals um, through the operation of the vending facilities uh, on federal property. We understand that people cannot flip a switch. 
and take 2102, uh, tax 2102 and have all the machines that were being third party flipped over to, uh, being operated by blind vendors today. Uh, but we do want states to work towards, uh, assigning these machines to blind vendors. The act, uh, in our interpretation is pretty clear that if there aren't blind vendors, Congress put in a method for ensuring that um, vending machines on federal property would still help benefit Randolph Shepard programs by ensuring that the vending machine income from those would accrue to the state um, licensing agency in buildings where um, there, there happen to be no no blind vendor uh, available. Certainly, if a blind vendor is in the building, and that blind vendor is not um, not filling the machines. That income accrues; um, it's distributed to the state, but it goes to the blind vendor, um, at least up until the national average, and then the, the funds would accrue to the state. So, when we looked at this, if if Congress would have intended that states could just arbitrarily third party um these machines out they would not have put the vending machine requirement the vending machine income requirement um in 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 the regs that regulation that deals with this is um 395.32 is is how federal agencies deal with the vending machine income and how much they remit back um and then 395.8 tells you the purposes of how you can use vending machine income. So that was, that was our analysis. Uh, we do recognize that there may be times where states do need to third party machines for a time. Like if a vendor, if there's an unexpected death of a vendor, if there is a vendor who unexpectedly either abandons their facility or retires unexpectedly, where the state uh, to protect the permit may need to um, uh, use a third party to ensure that the services are being provided to the federal tenant. So these are areas where we think there may be times when a third party um, is, is needed. But again, we don't expect if a, if a blind vendor unexpectedly retires, we don't believe the state should take four years to figure out who should be replacing the blind vendor and all that time have a third party um, contractor providing service. So we, we, when we begin to monitor, this will be one of the things we are going to look at to see how states are doing. What is the state's plan in um, this aspect? I think there will be um, a lot of moving parts on this program. Some states may change. It may change how the retirement program works. Blind vendors may need to have more training on uh, types of retirement accounts that they can do uh, on their own, our, our thought is that this will actually increase the income of blind vendors instead of, 
uh, if blind vendors are filling the machines, uh, the state's getting, I don't know, somewhere maybe 10 to 20% in commissions. That's some of the things we've seen, uh, if blind vendors are filling that, we would expect that you would be taking more in sales than that 20% that's being remitted back. That That's our thinking, our, our thought process. And so that blind vendors, because their incomes are higher, um, would be able to, um, you know, come up with their own IRA um, contributions uh, or health care. So we, we recognize that there will be changes. We um, hope that uh, the intent of the act is carried out and that we have come up with a policy that should increase the remunerative income of blind vendors with the TAC. At this point, um, as I say, we will be, when we go out to monitor, that will be something we're checking on to see how states are working to move in that direction. I think speaking to blind vendors, there are blind vendors who, uh, who uh, have created relationships with third party contractors. Again, you know, we understand right now states that have third partied those machines may not have the equipment to provide blind vendors right away. If a blind vendor wishes to, um, fill those machines themselves, but we, we think that there are, um, is an opportunity for blind vendors as they, as we move down this road to having blind vendors fill machines that, um, we encourage you to find those blind vendors who actively have arranged arrangements with third party contractors to see how it's being done and what are the rates. Um, I think that's one thing that vendors could do right now. Uh, as we move down this road and, and ultimately see that the, uh, that the tack that was issued is being followed, which of course means that, uh, we think that the true intent of the Randolph Shepard Act is being, uh, applied on, on this, uh, on this front. This, uh, this tack does not talk about state property. We, whether or not the department, um, We'll issue more guidance related to, to state vending machine income. We're, we're not there yet. We're, we're, we're juggling, um, what priorities we want to talk about. And so the department's still examining what the next critical issue that we, we feel guidance might be needed on. So I know, I know there has been some discussion amongst blind vendors. Well, they, you know, they're going to come, the RSA is going to, going to go after not go after, but uh, comment on state vending machine income next. We have not said that. That is um, that is kind of the rumor mill at this point. Um, so I want to be I want to be clear that we, you know, doesn't mean we won't, but it doesn't mean it's. I think some people have portrayed it as being imminent, and that is not the case. Um, there are a number of issues we'd like to to move on. And there's a lot of decisions that are beyond our control on, on which of those we move on. Um, I often tell people that the current Randolph Shepard regulations are older than I am. So certainly there are a lot, there's a lot of room uh, for improvement in a lot of different areas. And, and we have to, you know, as we get feedback from the field, from blind vendors, from SLAs and from the federal agencies, 
we are kind of guided on where we where our work needs to go. So um, you can be assured when RSA is thinking about issues, we'll, we will be taking feedback into account. Uh, and Scott, I think I'll hold there to see if there are any um, questions, but I think that's the tack in general in our thought process and what we hope will come of it. All right. Well, very good. Uh, do we have uh, any questions at this point? Hi, this is Randy Hout from the state of Oregon. Hi, Jesse. Hi, everybody. Great, great conference. Um, just a quick question, Jesse, just to help me and maybe others on the line understand, you know, I, I applaud and appreciate personally the um, current CAC and how RSA, in my opinion, finally has said, hey, look at this vending is supposed to go to the blind vendor, the recipient, the intended recipient of this great program and not to the licensed blind, you know, not to the SLA, the state licensing agency. So I really applaud that. And I know it may cause some, you know, changes in how state licensing agencies do business. But why is there so much difference in um, the state unassigned vending? Because I think, you know, the intent of the program is to provide that remunerative employment and large economic opportunities and stimulate blind to greater efforts. Why isn't RSA taking the same position on um, state unassigned? So that's what I was wondering if you can answer or, you know, kind of, you know, give me some uh, framework around that. I'd appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, in brief, Randy, uh, because we want to get a statement out right now and um, the federal facilities are more within control of the, the federal statute. And so there are different state statutes that may address that, that don't perfectly link to the um, federal requirements for use of vending machine income in the same way that uh, I mean, some states perfectly match it, some states don't. We wanted to address the issue that we thought we had the most solid ground on to to address. And without getting into too, too, too much, it, it's a fiscal issue whether or not it could be extended. And we uh, didn't think we had enough information at that time to go further than we did um, to address state vending machine income. Okay. I hope that answers that your, your question, Randy. I don't know if you can, if you're muted again or not. All right. Uh, any other questions? I have one. This is Artis. I just wanted to ask, have you had a lot of feedback and questions from states in regard to this uh, change in the rules? There have been questions about why RSA is doing this now. Why why now are you, you stopping us? So there have been questions. You know, nobody has... I think there are a lot of people are, are taking it in, Artis, um, about how we'll how this will impact. I think people are still um, talking about what changes would need to be made. And uh, a lot of the questions have been around is how soon does RSA expect us to actually be able to kind of flip the switch um, to go from one way of doing this to the other. We expect that elected committees will be actively participating with their state agencies about this. We do know this is going to take time but we hope that, as I mentioned, that that um, people begin 
the conversation and coming up with a plan for for moving in this direction. But specific questions, specific state related questions, I don't think we're at the grand that granular um, level yet. They've been kind of, I, I would say, process oriented. Um, you know, grand, big big picture level. The feedback that we've received. Do you think this will help some states really look at more uh, federal locations to be able to get the money back where there is not a vendor? Because I know that's been one of the complaints in uh, a lot of states is that vendors don't see the uh, state agency taking advantage of getting the receipts from a lot of buildings that they could be getting them from. I mean, our our ultimate hope, right, is that this will increase uh, employment opportunities. Hopefully we can develop more facilities for blind vendors to operate. Um, and certainly we, we hope that, that yes, that, that will be, you know, blind vendors will be capturing some of that income that maybe is being left on the table currently. Uh, Jesse, Dan Sipple here. Yeah, Dan, how are you? Real good, real good yourself. Glad to have you here. Um, one, just a comment on that. Um, quite a few states, I know in Wisconsin here, um, our state statute uh, basically adopts the um, Randolph Shepard Act. So anything that's in Randolph Shepard Act is automatically within our uh, state statute. In a lot of states are similar to that. Then we further have the, um, the state statute codified. So you, your point about uh, the elected committee hopefully will, you know, be involved in um, bringing all facilities, federal and state facilities, in line with this. In some states, you know, uh, you know, being from Midwest here, in other states, there's some concerns about the highway rest areas um, being in rural areas or whatever else. And yeah, that I think uh, is something that can be readily worked out uh, through active participation uh, between the elected committee and the, uh, the SLA, and that they, they can be remedied. Uh, in, 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 and I really applaud uh, you and the rest of your colleagues for taking this initiative because that's what we need to do is grow this program and provide opportunities for um, and, and recruitment for new vendors into the program to, for sustainability uh, for the long term. So thank you much for all, all that you guys do out there. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate appreciate that comment. Thank you. Jesse, I, I do have a, a question for you, and this may be a little difficult for you to answer, and it may not. I don't know. But uh, certainly where we've come from in the last two years and the struggles and uh, et cetera, and as we look to uh, 2022, 2023, is there anything out on the horizon that you guys are starting to think about that, that we should maybe have a little heads up on, start the conversation, um, changes coming, anything you can enlighten us on? I think nothing specifically at this time, Scott. There are okay. certainly, I mean, you can think of these have been hot button issues in the past and over time. We certainly, those issues that seem to rear up over and over again, uh, I think some of those are more difficult to address or how to move forward. We um, certainly, we have worked to try and develop a better relationship with the Ability One Commission 
there was an MOU issued. Um, we've, we've tried to work on improving relationships between GSA and the SLAs. We have in the past couple of years, um, you know, put out a statement about military dining and the applicability of the Randolph Shepard Act, those contracts. And sometimes we want to consider how do we strengthen those positions? And some of those will take a lot of time to accomplish because there will be a lot of intergovernmental negotiations that will be going on um, to, to try and get those things across the finish line. We are constantly thinking about how do we move Randolph Shepard forward? What is that going to take? Is What can we do? Is there a way to move the conversation forward? Do we need to look at a different types of businesses that may be choices for blind vendors to run other than what is the traditional Randolph Shepard vending facility. The, the definition of vending facility is very broad in that it goes beyond, um, you know, if Congress just wanted it to be food, they would have stopped. They wouldn't have put an and other services, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, uh, other services um, distributed manually or automatically, right? There, there is beyond food in that and clause. And so I don't know that there's anything in specifics, but, you know, those are the types of things we're thinking about. Uh, we're moving forward. One of the things we'll gather from the 52021 um, RSA 15 here is how many vendors do we have left? Uh, at its, at its, Prime, Randolph Shepard had 34 to 3,600 vendors. Yeah. And now we're somewhere between 17 and 1,800. So, so we do need to think about ways to move forward. Think of ways that we can get new people energized. And some of that may be what type of facilities are we promoting, um, in Randolph Shepard? I know now that I'm I'm now president of our SVA and that's that's been a huge discussion in our group as well. How do we keep things viable, fresh, um, making it all look important to those people who might be considering coming into the program? And um, um, I, I'd like to propose maybe we have some kind of a roundtable between the two consumer groups and you folks and really look at some alternatives, you know, um, because without some fresh folks coming through the door, uh, we have some concerns because a lot of our vendors are aging. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 I personally would really welcome that because I just know that we need, we need to be thinking about the future. So I'll just leave it at that. But, uh, I'll, I'll but definitely yeah. get back and see what we can, um, um, see if we can set up some times to, to set that up, Scott. I yeah. appreciate it. So. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it would be worthwhile. So, do we have any other questions for Jesse today? We do not. Is there any anything you'd like to leave as a final address with us, Jesse? Federal employees often get accused of talking too much, so I'll just keep that. Jesse, yeah, um, Dan. It, uh, in in your you know uh, review and your hectic year you you put in the past year, you and your staff. 
um, in reviewing everything and, and getting this uh, tech, uh, technical assistance memo out. Um, you know, the, the Randall Shepard Act hasn't been revised since 1974. Have you come across, there's always been a hint about changing this or that. Have you come across anything that you feel should be addressed uh, through congressional uh, means in the act? I, I think we all know that there are um, changes, Dan. Um, I, I don't want to step too much over. It, there are things we would like to do, um, and we would handle ours uh, through reg- regulations. And I don't want to step into Congress's role if they want if Congress wants to change the act because that's that's their their lane. The regulations are our, are kind of our. You know, and there are there are there are definitely issues that need to be addressed. I mean, there's just some of the besides language, there are things that could be clear, uh, more clearly stated in the regulations. Some parts of the regulation, in particularly, for example, there are, there are parts of the regulation where there's an A and a B, and um, B should be A and A should be B. <laughs> um, <you know. laughs> <laughs> and how it, and how it was written um in some ways but but um I think there are um either statutorily or regulatorily there are um changes that could be made um I think ours in the regu- regulation world um should be updated i mean it's like I said the regs have been since seventy eight ish so there certainly could be refresh and of course you know if the department moves. To do that, um, one, uh, you know, of course, we'll be going through the public comment phase. But uh, right now, Dan, there's there's not much talk of opening the regs at this time. Okay. Uh, Just because of yeah. how much time it, 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 it it's very time right. consuming to <laughs> promulgate administrative rules. Yeah, that is understandable. But you know, this one at some point we may have to just uh, devote the. Uh, the time and priority to it. And just one other comment, Jesse, that I really appreciate your uh, comment about working with Ability One. A uh, personal friend of mine is on the Ability One Commission, and the last I talked to him just recently is that uh, he um, is very happy with um, working with our acting commissioner, the RC commissioner. And he uh, feels that uh, she is doing an excellent job and uh, I think things are really moving in the right direction in bringing uh, Ability One um, in in agreement with uh, the Randall Shepard program. And so I think, uh, you know, hats off to, to her and, uh, and you, because it all starts from, from you guys doing all the uh, uh, legwork on it. So thank you. Thanks. All right. Do we have any any other questions or comments for for Jesse today? There are no raised hands. Okay. Well, Jesse, I so appreciate the oh, fact Oh, we do that- have somebody, Natasha. Some interests that they, that they have on their mind. Um, the blonde vendors are going where our industry, uh, where we can move into what arenas will even exist for us, uh, moving forward. So it's great to hear that. Um, just as a comment, you know, promotion of the company is such a big deal. Um, I knew personally that I wanted to get into the industry, but I remember coming uh, initially to my own counselor to start a career. 
And, you know, there was such little knowledge that they had of it to even guide me into it. So, you know, it's unfortunate to hear that there are any states anywhere with uh, third-party vendors who aren't blind running them because there's so much potential out there, just not enough promotion of what we do. Vendors love what they do. So it's not an issue of not finding people wanting to do it. So it's it's just great to hear that it's on the minds of where we're moving. And it's, you know, if we don't tackle the regs, though, and if that's not an issue that anyone sees coming up soon, then we won't have an opportunity to move anywhere. The regulations do need to change for us to move into any other uh, industry or, you know, keep that alive. So I just thought I'd mention that. And, and I do appreciate all the work, um, you know, everyone's doing to, to keep us going. Thank you, Natasha. And I'll definitely, I'll definitely take the comment back. I, um, I guess I should say that right now we're, we, we are trying to figure out the ways we move forward without maybe taking on the headache of the regs and and figure out a way way to move forward while we're, things are moving on multiple tracks, but okay, we have this marker down that, you know, everybody recognizes that the, the, the regs are old. Um, and while we're waiting on the opportunity to move those within the department, because they're, you know, the department, the whole department of education has only so many rules that they can put forward. Um, yeah. and so where we are in that pecking order. Um, so while, while we're figuring that out, We've, we've certainly released a couple, you know, besides this, this tack last summer, we had one on active participation. Um, and so that's why you'll see more things like the tax coming out because we're trying to address issues, um, in a manner that doesn't involve the, um, as much, uh, bureaucratic hurdles as like a full on, um, notice of proposed rulemaking. So we we're trying to certainly address some of those issues through other, the other means that are available in our tool chest. But um, I certainly appreciate the comment. We do have one more question from area code 305 ending 112. I'm Guillermo from Miami. Uh, my English is not good. I have a question. So my daughter is helping me uh, in my question. Give me a second. Sure. Yes, good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. Uh, my father has a question. He wants to know if he he can put the ATN under the uh, federal uh, post office under his business, under the Shepherd Act. An ATM? So there, is, there, is, there is an ATM already in the building, but it belongs to uh, someone else. So he wants to know if under the Shepherd Act also the ATMs are covered. Let me just say we would have to look in into that. I do know the of Randolph Shepherd vendors that have um ATMs by their facilities or in in their facilities. Um so I know that it is possible. I think there would be some um talk with with the Florida SLA about that, whether or not you know what the situation is. Um Related to the facility and, and, and if that was part of the permit, uh, mm-hmm. um, artists might, you said that participants have received our contact information, right? 
Yes, yes. Okay. We sent okay. out the uh, contact information for everyone. Okay, so um, Guillermo, if you could follow follow up uh, with me with patient, if you reach out and um, we'll see what it could be. But I'd also encourage you to uh, you know talk to Bill and the SLA and and see maybe if you could find out a little more information about whether that was part whether the ATM was there before the facility or if it's a recent addition. Um, in the, in the building that there may be a, something that where it existed before Florida had that location. I don't know, but if you could gather some more information, um, for background and then, and then, uh, you know, reach out to me, that'd be great. Well, fantastic, Jesse. This has been a, a very, uh, great hour. We've gotten to ask a lot of good questions and you've had some great answers. We so appreciate the fact that you took some time today and, and join us and bring us up to date on what's happening throughout the country. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you again. And um, I'll, I'll just say, I'm sure we'll be inviting you to Sagebrush. And uh, remember, we might even be in sunny Las Vegas in February. We, we might. <laughs> I would I would not be coming from a place as cold as you, but I'm a Southern person. So getting out to, to Vegas in February is also a warm up for me too. So uh, <laughs> Appreciate it, Scott. Thanks. Yo, thank you so very much for joining us. Bye. Thank you, Jesse. Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Next up on the agenda, I believe we have somebody who uh, we had a chance to visit with yesterday, but uh, she is back with us today. So uh, the title of this presentation is HR Compensation, Steps to Hiring and Firing Staff. And this would be Malena Otero. Are you with us? I am here, yes. Wonderful. Welcome back. Thank, Thank you for you. joining Happy us again today. Yes, happy to be back. I'll let you just go ahead and jump into your presentation. Okay, great. So good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for your attention. Uh, my name is Melinda Otero. I'm with Strategic HR Alliance. I've been in HR for a little bit over 25 years, and I'm happy to share um, some information that we've been learning. And I have to say that it's it's been changing over the years, and especially with this pandemic that we've been going through. It... it um, has certainly changed the way we we approach business. And so one of the things that I want to talk to you a little bit about is definitely we talk about comp we'll talk about compensation um, and about retaining our employees more than firing them, hopefully, and getting them to be engaged and staying with us as happy, productive uh, employees. So as you know, um, and you may have experienced in your industry, is that many Wages are going up and competition is driving up salaries. The lack of employees are driving up salary. We are having, you know, if you, there's commercials, radio commercials, television commercials, social media commercials that are advertising sign-on bonuses that are added, advertising higher pay um, for what we consider entry-level positions at some point. And so we need to be aware of what's happening and we need to see how you, for your business, what can you implement that may help retain and keep your employees happy? So one of the things that we talk about is, is a very obvious, but sometimes we seem to neglect, which is the environment. 
um, is your team happy? And how do you know if your team is happy? And sometimes uh, business owners say, well, they don't come here to be happy. They just come here to work and get a paycheck. Well, right now, employees have a lot of options. So we want them to produce well. We want them to stay. So one of the things is I will recommend to you that we have an environment, that you have an environment in your business that the employees are are feeling that they're part of the team. So, for example, uh, so how do you find out? You can have a roundtable, a survey. Uh, you can talk, you know, walk and, and talk when people are having lunch or find out how they're doing. Talk to them in small groups. But let's start with money. Money does motivate people. However, what money are we talking about? How How do you know what to pay? And I would say that you should look at your competitors, you should look at same industries and see what they're paying and see if that's something that can fit into your budget, into your structure. But don't just do it haphazardly like this person said they're going to quit or so I'm going to pay in more money. But then there's a person beside them who didn't say they were going to quit and I'm not going to give them more money. Look at it in a structured way as much as possible. You can take it by groups. So all the customer service reps are in this group. So the range is going to be from 15 to 18, say, and it's going to depend on experience, performance. Determine what those factors are when you when it comes to money. So I would say survey what the industry is paying, survey what your competitors are paying, and, and then structurize a compensation plan. Recognition. You know, recognition goes a long way. A thank you goes a long way. Now, how does that thank you go? It can You can... Hold, you know, a competitive contest of who has the least errors or something to that amount. Have a, a weekly newsletter where you have weekly shout out corners. You can have employee of the month and you could have holiday, you know, right? The holidays are coming and have some holiday events. So those are just some thoughts that, yes, they may cost a little money, but in the end, to retain your employees and keep the knowledge they have, it's much less expensive to retain your employees. So benefits. We all talk about when we think about benefits, we think about things like medical, dental, vision, things that cost money. But there can be other things that don't cost money, such as FSAs, you know, flexible spending accounts, dependent care. And that's a great advantage to your employees because they save on taxes and your benefit broker can help you out with that. We have other benefit plans that can be offered, such as additional life insurance, credit monitoring, different things that is easy for them because they don't have to worry about paying a bill. All they do is it's through payroll deductions. So you help them out with that. So let's talk about a big one. In the research that um, I've been doing this during this pandemic about trying to figure out where these employees are and why they're leaving their positions is flexibility is a huge thing. Um, people have identified that they like their flexible schedule. They like to live in, you know, Colorado when their office is in California. And so they they like that flexibility. So if your business can handle it, I encourage you to look into if you can offer remote work. That would save you on rent, on utilities. It, it would save you on furniture. It would save you some money if your business can afford it. If you're if your business is a front-facing business and you can't you need your employees there, then let's talk about other things that can do uh, there's 980s. 980s are when you have you work nine hours a day and you have every other day off. Every other week you have a day off. You can work. You have part-time work. You have shared work. So there's a couple of things that you can do 
to again motivate your your employees to stay and to meet their needs as well. Uh, and I'm going a little bit uh, fast on these tips, but again, artist has the PowerPoint that you can have. And then the time off, anything like the floating holiday, birthday off um, that you can give them is great because we all need a day sometimes just to relax and have a beach day or something. Child care. So child care might be difficult for you to have on site, um, meaning for you to subsidize or for you to pay. If you could subsidize, that is great. But you can also partner with a child care organization that can um, reduce the rate for your employees or they or you can provide on site. You can provide the, the space for them, but then they are responsible for hiring everybody. It's their business. You can you're just providing the, the space so that your employees have child care on site. So those are some of the thoughts on how to retain employees. I have a few more, and that is the professional development goes a long way. If you can invest in them to pay for a webinar, seminar, class, certificate, any tuition assistant, then employees know that you are investing in them, that you care about them, and that you want them to grow, grow within your company and um, and continue to get better at what they do within their company. I also list here laundry service. Um, you can partner with a, a laundry service or a dry cleaning company that can come and pick up your employees' laundry or dry cleaning, and you don't have to pay anything. You just have to allow them to come on site on a certain day, pick up the clothes, and drop off the clothes, and the employees can set up an account with that with that laundry service. One of the other things that I want to bring up is who does not like food? So if you know you can have anything from coffee to snacks to lunch every now and then or lunch once a week, it it really makes your employees feel like they're part of, of the team. And and the other thing I have here is holiday bonus. If there's any way you can give a holiday bonus, whatever the amount is, I think employees always appreciate that. And so that that is a good option for you that are not too costly, but, um, but they go a long way with your team. The the other thing is that I am going to mention, but I didn't have listed here, is in order to feel part of the team, I encourage you to ask them their opinion and to implement some of the things that your your employees bring up. Ask how you can better improve a system, a product, uh, what products should you begin to sell. So those are the things that you can ask your employees to really feel vested and really feel part of of your organization. Now, I want to bring up that when you are structuring, again, um, is that you need to identify if you say, well, everybody's replaceable. Yes, but what will that cost you in recruitment, in downtime, in training time, in institutional knowledge that the employee had? So consider what you, you know, there's so many options and and consider implementing one a year, one a quarter, one every six months, you know, something that will help you really boost the retention and the happy factor in your from your employees. Um, what you know the, the the title of the presentation is also firing. Now ideally firing is, is limited. However, if you have structures in place, I mean limited we hope that you're not firing and have to fire all the time. But if your employees are happy, they will be less likely to they will be more productive, less likely to call in sick, call in late workers' comp cases. In HR, we know that when we look at the reports, when you have high number of, of dissatisfied employees, 
you have employees who are filing more workers' comp case, and you have an attendance problem. And so this all goes hand in hand. If your employees are happy and they're feeling fulfilled, there will be less costly items such as workers' comp cases and reasons for you to write people up and terminate them and disruption to your business. So those are some tips that I wanted to bring to you about that, that it's not just about money when you think about retaining your employees and trying to figure out how you can attract new employees. It's all about an environment, too. Many years I worked for, many years ago I worked for Disney, and their philosophy at the time when I worked there in HR was, we don't have to pay the top dollar because people enjoy working here and they want to work here. So we're kind of, our compensation method will be kind of, you know, down the middle, a little bit higher, from the middle to a little bit higher, but we don't have to pay top dollar because people want to come and work here because of the environment of now. Not everybody has the same experience, but for the most part, I think they had a positive environment and people would want to come there. They're the name, the experience, the environment. So make that as well for you, that people are talking about your business and how happy they are because of all the benefits that you provide that are not necessarily monetary. So I'll open it up for any questions or comments. Sure. I'm going to start off with a question for you. Sure. This would be a recommendation for you. So let's, I'm fortunate. I'm coming to you and this is not my business. I'm not asking you for a friend. But so let's say I have a business and I'm having some real turnover issues. I've got some real disgruntled employees and I'm not sure how to fix the problem. And I come to you and I say, how do I correct this? How do I, what are some of the first couple steps I should take to get things back on track, to get these folks happy again and making them work for me opposed to working against me? What would you recommend? I think the first thing would be to find out what they're unhappy about. So many times as a consultant, you know, I come in, but you can have a neutral party, you can have HR, or you can have yourself as the owner of the business or CEO of the business is to come and say, and I would do it in small groups because when you do it in big groups, I would come and have conversations with the group. Either have a written survey or have small focus teams, or if your team is really small, speak to them individually. Because when you have a group, people are less willing to speak up. And so I would have small groups of people if you have a lot of people or at least talk to them individually or a written survey to ask them, what can we do better? What would make your experience here better? How can we improve? So that's one of the first steps that I would take. Once you get the information or if there's something that you already know, I would change it right away. For example, let's just say it's something simple like the schedule. We would like to come in 20 minutes later. Okay, is that feasible? If that is feasible, take your really, from what you get from the survey, take the top things, easy wins that you can do. Like, oh, it's not a problem. They want me to provide a Keurig and K-cups for it. Great. It's not a problem. I can provide something. I can provide the coffee and the Keurig. So take your small wins first and implement those. 
and then talk to them about at the about the bigger things such as we can't really change the schedule because of whatever reason and you explain and you talk about it and you say I heard you but here's a reason why we can't do it and so that's what I where I would start I have a question um Melina if you are in the interview process which of those benefits would you highlight when you're in the interview process which you were the ones you were talking about earlier depending on which I could offer um but let's say I would say let's say I could offer flexible hours I that is a big thing right now in every article I read in every round table amount flexibility is important so if I could offer flexibility I'd say we have a flexible schedule you're a student you know we can accommodate your schedule pretty much we talk to me about your schedule so I would bring up that if you're if you're trying to attract numerous people uh, you know parents college students who um you know artists let's say who work part time and 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 uh do their art the other part different so it depends what you're looking for but but that's a good question artist because I would focus on the benefits that are relevant to my audience so flexibility is a huge one time off is huge for pretty much anybody the holidays so which includes time off and then medical the the traditional medical dental vision 401k if you have that that people look for that costs a lot of money to them if they paid outside so your traditional ones but definitely right now that the in thing the fad is flexibility okay any other questions for our guest here when would you consider firing somebody i know it's hard to to get enough employees nowadays so sometimes you're kind of hesitant to fire somebody that's not Uh, doing what you want them to do uh can you think of the best way to consider it yes um well first i think there's different categories if somebody did something really egregious like really insult somebody and be very offensive stealing or any of that that's for me is immediate termination now if their employees come in late a couple times or you know usually they're supposed to produce certain number and they're com- coming short of that number then i would have a conversation with the person and find out what's you know what's happening i noticed that you're producing 50 products less than you normally do is something going on is there something i can help you with and they may tell you like i'm having trouble with with something um, i'm not feeling well and so you have that conversation with them but let's just say there's a person who just can't get up in the morning and is consistently 15 to 20 minutes late it's affecting your business because they're not starting the machine they're not opening the store they're not answering the phones you should have a conversation and describe the in, the impact you know when you're not here to open the store it causes a hardship for me because customers are waiting outside and they we develop a poor relationship with our with our customers so i want to know what's going on well i just can't get up in the morning i i need you here so what can you do to either go to bed earlier leave earlier and can i count on you to be here yes you can and then the next couple of days are fine and then they continue to be late again i would say that would be detrimental to your business if you're losing business because this person is not there to open the store or is a toxic person some person who's always negative complaining about everything and affecting 
your other employees and scaring them, then I would say that's a time to to let them go because the first one who's late is affecting your business. The one who's in a toxic environment is affecting the morale of the organization. And sometimes you have to take that that hit. Um, most recently, I was talking to a manufacturing company, and there are two ladies who did not get along. But we found that one of them was kind of a problem person. She went. She had a lot of problems with a lot of the employees, and they were they were kind of scared of her. They didn't like her to be around there. They felt that the environment was was really uncomfortable when she was around. However, they were short people. But we did make the tough decision in order to make the rest of the team happy. Um, we did terminate that employee. And so sometimes you need to see what's the cost of you having an employee who's not producing or who's toxic or who is hurtful to your to your business. I have kind of a question to to uh, tag on to that um, in in your experience, in your mind, how deep does a a correction, corrective action plan with this employee who uh, may be toxic to the rest of the community or is late or whatever. How, how many chances one legally do you have to give them to correct their, their behavior? And, and two, what, at what point, uh, what would be a reasonable amount of time to say, okay, I've seen this behavior three times, five times, whatever, what, what would be a reasonable number? I mean, what, what, which, what should we be looking at? One of the things you, you said, Scott, is what is legal. So legal depends on you. So for example, if you, um, legal depends on the state. So if, if the state here that I'm in in California does not ha- we're at will unless there's some kind of bargaining agreement. So if there's a bargaining agreement, then you should look at that bargaining agreement. But if there isn't, and you're uh, at will state, I would say that no more than three times, but it doesn't, you don't have to wait for three times where um, we've had these situations where an employee comes to work drunk and causes chaos. You don't need to wait three times for that. You can terminate them right then and there. But if they're smaller situations or instances where they're late, um, they're, you know, you've talked to them about, not cursing in the workplace or not, you know, saying things that make people feel uncomfortable. I would say no, within like 30 to 60 days, if they don't, if they haven't improved, then I would, I would term them. If it's a longer thing, like I could really see that the employee's working on it. Their errors are less. They've improved in some areas. They still have a little work to do in some area, in some areas, but they're really trying hard. I mean, I would even extend it to a year, but it depends how long what the employee is not doing that is affecting your business. But tardiness, I usually don't wait attendance longer than between 30 to 60 days, uh, depending if they're how late they are and, and how consecutive they are. So if they're good for two weeks and then they're late and they're good for another two weeks and they're late, then I would give them the longer period of time. But if I just talk to them and then the next three shifts they're late, then I'd probably look to terminate them. Okay. There's no formula exactly, I'm sorry to say, um, and it depends on, on the situation. But I always think having a, a conversation with your employees, because sometimes you'll find out, like, I only have one car, and by the time I drop off my spouse and, and drive here, and so maybe you can accommodate. Well, maybe opening the opening shift is not for you. Maybe we can do the mid-morning shift, and so you can make those accommodations. So having a conversation with your employees as well. 
Yes. Yeah, but, uh, Dan Simple here again. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I just want to comment on um, your, your thought about the happy factor. And I think that is uh, so critical of a happy work environment. And you're, up until pandemic, um, most um, uh, new employees were referrals, either from uh, other, other employees or from your customers. And that all gets back to you have a happy work environment so that your customers will refer uh, potential uh, employees or your, uh, your other staff will refer them. But now with the pandemic and a lot of people pushed a fast forward button into retirement, um, you know, the happy factor may not be enough. And then, then with the decline in the um, news, uh, local newspaper media where the traditional wand ads are becoming the dinosaurs and so forth, um, you know, is social media an acceptable way of reaching out uh, to recruit where the, where the referral process uh, becomes ineffective? Absolutely. Social media has become a great way to attract and bring in candidates. And social media through, you know, for example, Facebook. Facebook, you can get an ad. We have, have worked in many um, ads that we've put on Facebook, and it, it does generate some interest. Instagram is another big one. Um, so, yes, there's definitely, you know, there's your LinkedIn and, and other additional ones but yes social media is huge on how to attract so yes i would say that social media is great the you know posting on 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 indeed zip recruiter um those are still there's i still find that they're still effective but social media is definitely definitely um effective i would still encourage you to go the referral process maybe having a referral program um where you offer an incentive to uh, anybody who refers an employee and gets hired and is with you for 90 days, six months, whatever you want, but there's a, a referral incentive, then you have your employees being incentivized to refer their friends. Any other quick last questions for our guest here? There are no raised hands. Okay. Well, Marlena, we, we thank you so much for joining us today. This was a very a uh, fascinating topic, and it's something that many of us have to deal with on a constant basis. So we appreciate all the information. Thank you so much. Good luck to everybody. Have a good e- evening. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Next up on our agenda, I see he's here already, so I'd like to introduce uh, not only uh, someone I collaborate with on getting some wonderful products into my business, but I can also call him one of my friends. We have with us Scott Schwingler, and Scott is from Vistar, Minnesota, so you may get a little bit of a mid-country uh, flavor to some of our presentation, but uh, certainly he, he knows he knows the markets. He's been around and uh, uh, we look forward to finding out what he's got to offer for us today. Our title of this presentation is uh, just looking at some new products, maybe some things that we haven't considered selling in our vending machines or in our micro markets or wherever we may operate. So, Scott, welcome aboard. Well, thank you, Scott, and hello, hello, hello to everybody else. This is a perfect week to do this presentation from my perspective. I just sat through Zoom meetings with about 40 different manufacturers this week. 
And the core of the meetings was to find out what's going on with the, with the manufacturers, what's new, what's happening with the supply chain, what's happening with price increases, and overall the state of distribution and the state of the manufacturers. So the highlights, what I have for this meeting, it's not so much new items, but I do have some information on the, on the state of the industry. Great. And I'm sure it's all uh, sunshine and roses here. <laughs> it's, I, I, I will start off with some of the challenges and I'll finish up with some, some of the positives. The challenges that we are seeing is, is probably what you're seeing as well. And that's supply chain issues. We as a, as a distributor and you as operators to bring products, which in essence here also a distributor are we're having hard times getting products from manufacturers, but getting complete orders or orders on time. Virtually all our manufacturers are having some issues. Hopefully for everybody that's buying from us, we can uh, provide some alternative solutions, or maybe you don't even see some of the issues that we have. Hopefully we're doing a good enough job behind the scenes to uh, not let you folks see, see some of the supply chain issues, but they are real. And the supply chains are, are struggling. In the news, you see that ships are out of the, the ports on the East Coast and the West Coast with some a variety of commodities or variety of products that are coming into uh, the United States. And those are delayed. A lot of those are paper products and, and non-food related products. We are also seeing manufacturers here locally in the United States that are having issues with labor and overall the trucking industry and just overall fulfillment of the, of the products. What I got from virtually every manufacturer this week is that's really not going to change. So what the manufacturers are doing is they're focusing less on innovation and less on new products, although there are some new products in the pipeline, but they're focusing on production and keeping up with the demand that, that is happening right now. What I am seeing is the manufacturers are focusing on their primary items and their secondary items, but they've been cutting out their third level items and in limiting some items. So for, what does that mean on, on your end, on our end? Well, that means that's where we need to focus as well is on the primary items. So that's kind of the manufacturer, what's happening with the manufacturers at this time. Does anybody have any questions on manufacturers that, uh, that I can address? And if you don't, that's just fine too. I know it's kind of a general, general statement, but, uh, yeah, manufacturing, it is a, it is a real issue out there. Well, I, I, I'll start out with one of the obvious ones to me. Now, this is only because uh, part of my business is in a prison facility or prison facilities. And um, we're always looking for those meat products, such as the, the chicken wings, the buffalo chicken wings. Uh, what's happening with Tyson? <laughs> yeah, and, and I did hear from... Tyson, they, they spoke this week and they started off their meeting talking about uh, a chick shortage. So 
there's fewer eggs, fewer chickens, and the demand is sky high. So there are issues with chicken. For example, I would say our chicken-based products, we're, we're probably receiving about 50% of what we order, which is, which is very, very low. Yeah, chicken in general is a, is a product that is in high demand and there's shortages on it right now. But there are some other options. Um, and, uh, Tyson, uh, is the primary manufacturer of, uh, Pierre Foods, which if you're using sandwiches, most of, most everybody in the vending world is familiar with, uh, Pierre Foods and they're the manufacturer. And we've had some manufacturers step up to the plate and have greater fulfillment. One of which is Delhi Express or EA Sween is the manufacturer company name. And we are distributing their products in every distribution center. So an alternative to Pierre products would be EA Sween or Delhi Express is a good substitute. Although what's happened, a lot of the business from Pierre has gone over to Delhi. So consequently, Delhi Express is at capacity now. But the good news is, is Vistar is a, is a priority uh, customer for Delhi Express. So they, they do a good job for us. You do um, have one raised hand. Kel, I may not be pronouncing that correctly. My question is um, kind of similar to what, um, when it came to the manufacturers you spoke to, I know they're having issues with with game products. Um, did they give you any ideas on how long they think it would take before um, their levels of, of uh, products would would get back to a level where maybe we don't see so many uh, uh, delays or, or, or items we order not showing up? Yeah, that's that's a that is a very good question, and and the the short answer is they don't see it happening quickly. Uh, they I've I heard from suppliers this week to plan on into 2022. One supplier said July of 2022 is where they hope to get back to normal. So the, the manufacturers truly are are under a crunch with uh with staffing and overall supplies that they need to produce the product and it might be packaging that they're they're out of but it's this is a real thing and um on our end as Vistar as you on your end I think I think the best thing is to recognize that it is real and to focus on primary brands uh of products the big selling items um, and I have a list of items, which I forwarded off to Scott this week, and hopefully you received that list, Scott. And you can- yeah, I, I did, and I will be sending that to artists. Yeah, I just looked at it myself here before you came. Yeah, that's, that's a good list of primary brands, and it's a national list of items where manufacturers have committed that they're going to work to fulfill for us. So that, that'll be a good list to look at or for referencing. So the short answer is... We're not near the end of this. <laughs> okay, you do have one other person. Perhaps while we're waiting for them, could you tell us some uh, products that normally uh, you don't think of with food service that uh, you guys sell that people could consider putting in a vending machine? I would say something to consider is really the fastest growing category that that is out there is meat products or protein-based products. 
any nut-related item or a jerky item or a stick, beef stick type item. That's where I would focus on there. Seems to be a lot of growth in that, anything protein-related. Anything like hand lotion or like hand lotion or like Apple products, anything like that, like iPhone headsets, that kind of thing. Do you sell anything like that or would they have to go to a different person? Artisa is a wonderful question. Wonderful question. Yes, we do. We do have some lotions. You're going to find that under the convenience valet line at Vistar. And we do have some headphones as well. So if you're in an environment that needs some headphones or phone chargers, we do have those. Okay. I think we have somebody up with a question here, I believe. This is Georgia Kellogg. Hey, Georgia. Yes. I've had problems with Pepperidge Farms trying to get their products like the goldfish, the one and a half ounce goldfish and the Milano's. When are they going to bring them back? <laughs> what uh, what distribution center do you order out of? Atlanta. Atlanta. Vistar Atlanta. Uh, well, I order through another company, but because I've ordered from Vistar before, and we've had some problems with the drivers from me, but um, my friend, um, Mike Wells, has ordered from Vistar, and he's had the same problems with Milano's and goldfish and such as that. Yeah, yeah. If if possible, um, if I can, I can relay that information down to our Atlanta area representatives. I would just need to know your company. And maybe, Scott, if you could gather that and send me an email with that contact. Yeah, I, yep, I'll have our on that for us. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Thank okay. you. Yeah, Georgia, just, just yeah, I'll, I'll forward it on to a rep from Atlanta, and they can reach out to you. Okay, thank you so much. You're welcome. There are no other hands. Okay, great. So I was going to say, let's talk about maybe some of the uh, – primary uh, candy companies and stuff, uh, Mars, Hershey's. What are we hearing from those folks? Scott, that's a great question. As you probably know, and everybody probably knows, if you haven't heard, both Mars and Hershey have now taken a price increase. Mars went up effective on Monday, and uh, Hershey went up in price a couple of weeks ago. What I have heard from Hershey if you are using the large size candy, that will be di- being discontinued. Um, and we still have the product at Vistar, but it is going to be phased out. And the reason being is they want to keep up with production on all their mainstream items. So what a large size candy, in case you don't know, it's like the Reese's peanut butter cup has three cups in it versus the normal Reese's peanut butter cup that has two cups in there. So the three cup is being discontinued, which was be what was sold only in the vending channels, but that's being discontinued. What am I hearing from Mars? Mars is full steam ahead there. And both Mars and Hershey, they are selling record amounts of candy right now. <laughs> and they're taking the price up, but they're, they're all having manufacturing constraints and they're focusing on their primary items, but that's yeah, what I'm hearing. Then, yeah, I, I know second, that uh, they were having a few issues, even with their huge core items, Snickers, M&M, Peanut, uh, 
I was having a little bit of a hard time finding some of those for a short period of time. So this thing has just reached across the board to everyone. It's just no way to get around it. Right. It it has. Now, now I did touch on the price increases for Mars and Hershey. So uh, let me segue. Over the past year, every manufacturer has had an increase. Now, that's bad news, but it's also good news. And the good news is they've all had an increase. Consumers are aware that products are going up in price. And it's a great time to make sure that everybody here has their prices set on their equipment and, and in their locations and set at the appropriate price so you can make some money. And you need to stay in front of, of these price increases because they will continue. I didn't hear anybody say that they're not going to have any increases in this next year. So from a business standpoint, I think it's something everybody should be aware of and to stay in front of the price increases if you can. Yeah, absolutely. Were there any, any news from any of the other companies that we should be worried about? I haven't, I haven't heard you mention beef products. So I'm thinking, Hey, I can have all the beef products I want. <laughs> That's a great question, Scott. Um, uh, beef products. There were some price increases six months ago, so I haven't heard anything as of recent, but it wouldn't surprise me if, if we see another increase within six months. Wow. Also, uh, thinking back to our conversation yesterday, and you were telling me something about bees. Oh, oh about bees. Yeah, I did have a manufacturer talk to us about, it was an almond manufacturer. Uh, I believe it was Blue Diamond. And they're having a problem with production on their almonds because of the lack of bees in the environment. So they're going to bee-free facilities. So they're trying <laughs> to create another growing environment for almonds and use some so they can grow their products without bees. It's basically what it is. So there's so many different moving parts right now in today's economy and today's supply chain that it's just uh, a very interesting time. Most definitely. And again, the, the floor is open for, for questions because you folks probably have a few other questions about what's happening with the economy and what's happening with all of our supply chains here. I, I know you don't work directly in this, but I also know that some of the, the soda companies have been having some issues as well. And uh, I've been seeing some shortages, and it sounds like they're doing some of the same uh, things that you've been talking about here. They probably have reduced their amount of offerings and just kept to the core line. And uh, so some of those oddball sodas that we may have carried, we may not be able to get for a while. Yeah, yeah. I think the secondary and the third level sodas or third level products for any manufacturer are probably going to be the first to be cut by the manufacturers. Positive news, though. I want to give you guys some positive news since we've talked about supply chain and price increases, which good and bad news with that. Overall, people are returning to work at a faster pace now. Now, we're still not where we were in 2019, but they are returning to work, and it's going to continue. I don't think we're going to be at 2019 levels from a workplace environment until at the earliest end of 2022 to 2023 is what I'm hearing. But what I am hearing is these workplace environments – have cut down on cafeterias. What that means is there's more trips to the vending machines so or to micro markets if you have a micro market. 
So you're seeing people purchase more products out of the vending machine. So even though the population hasn't returned, the purchases are still growing per capita, per person. So that's the positive news. All right. Does anybody have any questions for Scott here or any, any comments about some of the things you're seeing? Um, I think Scott is absolutely correct when he talks about wanting us to stay ahead of the price increases. It's, it's going to be crucial that we're really paying attention to what we're paying for product here. It's so easy to slip far behind and, and it's tough to get caught up. But uh, now is the time your customers are even recognizing the fact that items are going up. I know even in my prison facilities, which sometimes some of those folks are a challenge, I've had a number of them speak to me about some of the supply chain issues. So even they are aware and they're not in the general public like we are. So this is not big news anymore. This is, we, everybody knows it's happening and uh, we, we need to be prepared. That's right, Scott. Yeah. That's about all I had for today. If anybody has any questions. I, w- I wanted to ask you if you have buyers purchases been different um, during the pandemic? Have you seen a, a change? In- yeah, that's a, that's a great question. What, what, what has changed for Vistar? What, what items are now hot that were just kind of hanging on there for a while? Have, have you experienced any of that? I would say uh, I keep going back to the mainstream items. Those are hot. We're, we're going through more and more of the mainstream items simply because we can't get the other items. Nothing too unique, nothing too different. I would say we're at a, we're at a stage in the vending world where it's, it's back to the basics to the basics and, and, and focus on the basics and focus on the primary items. You know, from a trend standpoint, protein and meat-based products are, are still the growth items. Chocolate is doing well. Cookies are down a little bit. Tell us about the potato chip world real quick. What, what are you seeing from Frito-Lay? Frito-Lay, of, of all the companies out there that are innovative, Frito-Lay is one that is working hard, although they... If you're in the Midwest, there's a strike that they had in uh, in Kansas City, um, which I think the Midwestern area on Frito-Lay chips. Uh, but Frito-Lay is uh, trying to keep up with capacity. People are eating a lot of chips now. And, and uh, yeah, it's Frito-Lay. Frito-Lay is uh, Frito-Lay. <laughs> supplier but they have had some issues here lately with shortages on our end i have to say some of my even some of my more familiar items from frito-lay uh when i'll go to click on it to order not available it's like gosh oh that's quite a shock yeah and that may be just because you're ordering from minnesota some of the other divisions maybe it's atlanta or somewhere else they they may have a better supply okay in the Midwest, I think we were having it because of the strike in Kansas City, which affected where we get our chips out of Illinois. Okay. Since the pandemic, have you seen less new items come out? Are they more yeah. struggling just to keep what they have? <laughs> yeah, I would say everybody is making less items, less items, um, less new items. Um, so yeah, they, they want to just focus on, on the primary items and you're, you'll see that continue. Yep. 
Yep, I believe so. Well, I think we are short on time here. So uh, if anybody has any last quick questions they'd like to ask Scott, otherwise we'll start to wrap up our presentation here. There are no raised hands. Okay. Thank you very much. We appreciate everything. Well, thank you so much, Scott, for coming in and definitely giving us a real-time update on what's happening in the markets because uh, this is information we need to have. So uh, we thank you so much for coming in and joining us today, and uh, we look forward to uh, working with you again here. All right. Sounds good, Scott. Thanks. All right. Artis, do we have any more? Thank you. Yes. Uh, yep. uh, just yep. one, one question, Scott. Um, <clears throat> yes. You know, in the past, when um, manufacturers would introduce a new product, they would uh, introduce it in the three. There's three or four different venues. They'd use you know, vending was one venue, C stores another venue, grocery store another venue, then the big box stores, and they'd only produce enough new product, and they'd pick one of those venues. Now, as they discontinued these third level items. Hopefully they bring a lot of these back and will they be doing similar things? You know, cause packaging is, uh, is crucial to vending where in the C stores and grocery stores packaging is not as critical. Will they be doing the same thing as bringing them back, uh, by groups or will they just make things available as, as they can produce or as they can uh, re, re, uh, assemble their assembly lines and pack for its packaging? I think Scott left already. I think he is. Oh, okay, off. okay, that's all right. So, sorry about that, Dan, but uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't even have an educated answer for you on that one. I, yeah. I, I don't think any of us quite know right now what the future really happen, does right. look like. But uh, yes, I, I, I'm, I'm quite curious. So, artists, do we have anything else to cover before we close out here? Well, we have a few door prizes. Ah, beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I have three names here. Uh, Rachel Holland. All right. Congratulations, Rachel. Randy Hoff. Oh, Randy. Wonderful. Congratulations, Randy. And Jason Wathen. Jason. Well, congratulations to the three of you. Fantastic. Be checking your emails. Uh, Artists will be sending out something to you. And, uh, yeah, it's very exciting. So with that, I I don't know if anybody has anything to add, but um, I I know personally, I thank you all for joining us. This was, uh, again, we had planned meeting in person, but unfortunately we had to go to plan B and uh, we've become pretty good about putting together these things virtually. And, uh, we will have some information coming out soon about sagebrush. And we are so looking forward to seeing you folks in Las Vegas. I just hope that we continue on the trend we're on and we can start seeing each other once again and actually uh, getting to see some vending equipment and product and put it in their hands and all those important things that we do at Sagebrush. So, so I and just we will wanna... be doing that. We will be doing that hybrid version too. So right, right. people it, will it, also be able to do it on zoom for, I, I know in uh, the state staff, people are probably mostly appreciative of that. Cause I know a lot of staff, especially right now, they, aren't allowed to travel so it allows more staff to be able to attend remotely so hopefully we'll get a good dose of both (laughs) yes absolutely that's that's the beauty of the virtual world we can we can reach out to you folks that this may have been difficult to bring you in the past but uh, we have the technology we have the means to do this uh, 
and bring it right to your door. So uh, I always encourage people to to come on down and and experience that in person. But if you can't, we understand. So um, we're going to try to bring you the best of both. So with that, I think I'm prepared to sign off. It's been a fantastic, very quick moving last couple days. Thank you all for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you in Sagebrush.